Wham, Bam, Thank You, Ma'am is a podcast that discusses sex, intimate and sexual situations, sexualized anatomy, alcohol, and substance use. Naughty language will be used. We recommend listeners be 18 or older, as some content will not be suitable for younger listeners. Individual episodes may contain additional content warnings. Please refer to these at the start of each episode to keep yourself safe. Most importantly, have fun and enjoy. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, is known for being explicit, fun, and women-run. That's why we've partnered with Explicit Essentials to bring a special discount to our listeners. What is Explicit Essentials? Bath, body, and beauty products featuring bad words and good vibes. Wield the taboo like the powerful bitch you are. Still not convinced? Explicit Essentials uses premium, ethically sourced, cruelty-free ingredients for their small batch, handmade products. Even better, with our code WHAMBAM20, you'll get 20% off your badass purchase. To support us and a fantastic women-run independent business, visit shopexplicitessentials.com and remember to use WHAMBAM20 at checkout. Get flirty and stay explicit. Welcome to Wham Bam Thank You Ma'am, the smuttiest, sluttiest podcast this side of literary analysis. I'm Corinne, and I'm here because I studied media and literature in college, and I've spent a lot of time analyzing books, movies, video games, etc. And I decided to bring that to romance novels. Now, why are you here, Roxy? Hello, my name is Roxy. I'm, uh avid reader of romance novels, and I am also a mental health professional. Sometimes the two overlap in a really weird analytical way. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're here. And what about our dear Andy? Uh, My church group canceled. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Well, if they they need you, you know, like they give you a call, just let them know that you're mine. And also, the devil said hi. Hot. Does does the devil do potlucks? Because I really miss potlucks. And the like, devil does love... do potlucks. Okay, yeah. yeah. The devil loves a good hot dish. Because like a little old Midwestern grandma Satanist serving me a tater oh. tater tot casserole is like the dream life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But actually. I've I'm here because I've been ingratiated in phantom culture for longer than it was appropriate for me to be ingratiated into phantom culture. You know all the dirty secrets of the internet. Lemons, limes, it's all sublime. We're that weird generation that knew more about the internet than our parents did, so like parental controls didn't exist for us. So we saw shit we shouldn't have seen. We Correct. saw so much we shouldn't have seen. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> And are we better for it? Are we no, worse? We're worse. <laughs> I mean, I have a career out of it, so that's nice. But yeah, yeah, you'll always have work. Healing, <laughs> healing trauma aside. You'll, you'll always have work. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get me out of a job, folks. Take care of your mental health. <laughs> Watch what your kids see online, folks. <laughs> Put therapists out of a job in, uh, yeah. you know, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't think that'll ever happen, but we can hope. (sighs) For the first episode of season two, that's right, we're in season two. We're covering the highly recommended. What? What? Season two. Season two. Season two. (laughs) Not canceled yet. Not yet. Not canceled. We haven't given up yet. We're still here. 
Well, given it, hold on, that's a whole other. It's been 34 years. (laughs) There hasn't been a podcast here in 25 years. Um, (laughs) so 25 minutes. I know, right? Yeah, 25 minutes. (laughs) For the first episode of season two, uh, we're covering the highly recommended Pirates of Alatheria by Brittany Jackson. Amelia Draken was once the youngest and kindest of the dragon sorcerers, but she's now the last of her kind, betrayed and angry. She trades her meekness for a sword and embarks on a quest for vengeance that will lead her straight into the arms of the legendary Captain Maria Wells. Captain of the famed pirate ship, the Wicked Fate, Maria is every bit as treacherous and bloodthirsty as they say. She has her own vendetta and practically jumps at the chance to trick Amelia into joining her crew. But when their animosity towards each other blossoms into a passionate romance, the two women will have to decide what they want most. Vengeance or love. Content warnings for Pirates of Alatheria are as follows. Mentions of torture, drugging, and imprisonment endured by a main character. Mentions of parental death. Recent genocide of a main character's people. Violence, murder, gore. Discussions of pirate villainy. PTSD and panic attacks. Misogyny. Brief discussions of past child abuse. Brief discussions of sexual slavery in payment of debt. Mentions of slavery and human trafficking perpetrated by the government. Discussions of past infanticide. In case you're new to the show, we've all read the book, taken notes, and highlighted some of the spiciest sections. We'll be discussing the story and sexy bits, comparing it to romance and smut fiction with similar themes, setting, tropes, etc. While enjoying this signature drink of the episode. Or should I say drinks. Today we have each chosen a different drink since pirates are known to be quite fond of drunkenness in general. I went with Judith's Ginger, a spicy and refreshing mix of ginger beer or ale with spiced rum and a bit of lime juice. What about you, ma'ams? What are you drinking today? I'm drinking something called Pirate's Booty. And if you're watching the VOD, it, it, it does look a little bit like, but because it calls for edible glitter, no, edible gold uh, and glitter. And I don't got time for that. I'm, I'm, come on, I'm in my 30s. I don't got time for that. But it's delicious. It's got coconut rum. Uh, it's got a spice rum, two types of rum, uh, cranberry juice, and pineapple juice. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. And Andy, what are you drinking? I have the Pirate's Float Cocktail. Ooh. Um, it is, it's supposed to be spiced rum and uh root beer and cola i have kraken root beer and coca-cola that sounds good i'm i'm excited for all of our drinks now to the first drink of the episode maps cheers cheers oh that's good (sighs) that is good oh my god i've got like four ounces of rum in here i have to be careful I know, right? It hides, it hides the alcohol very well. Yeah. Which could make this delightful episode into chaos very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it, it may be. It, you might see a, a repeat of episode one. I'm hoping not. <laughs> well, I do have to say, though, speaking of a repeat of episode one, the whole time I was reading, I was just like, ah, two lesbians in love and a dragon prophecy. If I had a nickel for every time we've covered this, I'd have two nickels, which is weird. <laughs> it's not a lot, but it's weird that it's, it's happened more than once. Yeah, you know, like it's 
hilarious that we started the first season with Dragon Queens, and now we have another uh, woman-loving woman relationship with dragons. What? <laughs> what? Can, can I just take a second, though? Think about where we were when we recorded Dragon Queens. I, I've i listened to the first episode uh, and, like, compared it to our most recent ones. We are so much more unhinged. We were so, <laughs> we were so professional. <laughs> we, we knew were, it couldn't last. Yeah, we, we had to fall apart. But also, I'd say our production quality has gone up. It has. It has. Uh, we know what we're doing more, and that's why we can be more unhinged. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying times ahead. The, the more <laughs> comfortable we get, the more unhinged we get, which is beautiful. I love it. Um, speaking of unhinged, uh, I do just want to let everybody know that if you are looking for the recipes for these drinks, you can find them on the Discord or on our social media, WBTY and Pod, basically any place you look. And stick around until the very end for a tingling tingler where we read a segment from National Treasure, Chuck Tingle. Now, before we really get into the book, I did want to remind everyone that we have a very special gift for patrons at the $5 and above level. Anyone who becomes a one-night stand patron by November 10th at the latest will be sent a customized Christmas gift from the Mams in December. Our one-night stand level at $5 also gets ad-free episodes up to one week early and access to videos of our new bonus episode segments called Foreplay. And we just finished our first Foreplay right now, didn't we, Mams? Yes, we did. Oh, we did. And it was a time. <laughs> Times were had. <laughs> so look forward to seeing those. You will see foreplay episodes um, every other week. So when we don't have a main episode, there'll be a foreplay episode, which will be a shorter mini episode format where we discuss various things. You'll get to hear our dulcet tones every week instead of just every other week. And don't you just love that? Don't you love that for them? Oh my god. Oh my god, my tones are so dull. Oh my god, I've heard I have the best tones in like the entire world. My voice definitely doesn't sound like someone constantly choking on a chicken bone. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. How much vocal fry can we get into this episode? Oh my god, past me. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody save me. Get me out of here. Tracy and Stacy are acting crazy. <laughs> oh my god, Stacy, I love it when you use your normal voice. <laughs> All right, oh. now it's time to discuss the book, and I've put on my pirate hat for as long as it'll stay on my head over my headphones. So, anybody who can see this on video, you're welcome. This is my pirate hat. As I show off a orange hat uh, that has a lovely plume and an octopus on the front. I had a flower I was sticking in my hair, but you won't stay still. So just know so that was it. You were deflowered during our foreplay? You would know. <laughs> <laughs> How am I the least horny one right now? Uh, Roxy's you finally got- given in. <laughs> no wait no <laughs> you're you're finally is that, is that what season two us. is one, one of us one, one of, of us into losing my mind <laughs> this is my harley quinn era <laughs> i'm sorry descent into okay all right let's talk about the book folks okay 
Um, first thoughts. Who wants to give the first thoughts on the book? <laughs> I have a first thought. God damn it, Brittany. Why could you do this to me? God fucking. I, I'm not going to spoil because we got to go in order. But the way this book ends, the way this fucking book ends. I was in our group chat typing in all caps. Like, how could she do this to me? Like, take it like I know Brittany personally. <laughs> like, how could she be so good to me in this book and it be so well written and be such a lovely story and then end on such a cliffhanger. I shook my wife awake like, you don't know what Brittany did to me. You don't know. And your wife's like, who's, who's Brittany? Brittany? Who's Brittany? <laughs> the other woman. It's Brittany. It's Brittany, bitch. <laughs> if the book had sucked I would be less mad if it was a bad book <laughs> because then I wouldn't want to read the second one I, but I want to read the second one and it's not out yet it's I, not I'm not trying to devalue your suffering I'm just saying we got a good one we've read we some did. really this bad really books and this is not yeah. one of them yeah. this is a really freaking good book uh I really enjoyed it, and the sequel isn't out yet, and I'm fine. I Hi, I'm cool. I'm fine. A secret for the viewers and listeners. She is not fine. Or cool. Or cool. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will drive to Missouri. Did you hear me try to stop it and bite it down? It just Be careful being out. friends with Scorpio. I tried to stop it, and it said No. I'm sorry. Oh. You're cool to me, but I don't know that that's an improvement. That's so an insult. <laughs> it's like when your mom is like, well, sweetie, you're my best friend. Of course you're my mother. <laughs> Roxy, I think you're cool. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Oh, God, not normal, Roxy. Get her out of here. You want to know why <laughs> I think you're cool? Why do, why do you think I'm cool, Corinne? Because you're a giant lady. Because <laughs> I'm tall. Yeah. That's <laughs> just because I'm tall. <laughs> you just look straight up and you're just like, oh. Yeah. I look up and I'm hi. like, oh, lady. <laughs> so yeah, this is a really good book and I'm mad about it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say just as starting thoughts out of the gate really enjoyed this book it was such an easy read i i've been struggling with my allergies for the past two weeks and so basically the only thing i've been doing is doing my job sleeping and reading this book and being able to read a book that is so easy was really the only reason i was able to finish it as quickly as i did because i if it, if it had not been such a well-written book, I might have struggled more because my allergies are god-awful right now. I probably sound so congested. I am, I'm drowning in ragweed, everyone. Drowning. Is there any sign of land? No, I'm lost in a sea of ragweed. All I've got is my trusty flask. <laughs> and my rum. Come on down with me, hand in a lovable hand, and I hope. Andy, what did you think of this book? <laughs> yeah, this book was really fucking good. I I do think it's funny how similar it was to our first book. Um, 
And this time I know not to. <laughs> what is this bitch's obsession with nipples? <laughs> um, there is nipples. And I did. I did write in my notes. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't gratuitous. There I was, was like, less nipples and in general, less sex than a lot of the books we've covered because it was okay. all There's, about the tension. Yes, ma'am. This book, more than any book we've read, focused on the tension. It was wild. I'm very much used to, so this tends to kind of sway like enemies to lovers and I'm very used to like there just being a break where like oh they see that she's you know they're actually a nice person so it's fine and no it, it I've never experienced the back and forth that this book provides from enemy to lover constantly the banter oh and uh, I also appreciate uh, the what I read and we'll get into this more later as a neurodivergent representation I enjoyed that a lot. Yep. So. Uh, I've already recommended this book to a friend is what I'll say. Uh, I was at her house yesterday for girls night. And as I was leaving, I was like, you need to read this book. You're going to love it. You like pirates. You like lesbians. Read this book. (laughs) And she's like, I love both those things. (laughs) You like dragons also and accurate depictions of mental health. (laughs) Do you love Accurate depictions of the lasting results of trauma. Read this book. <laughs> I'm telling you, like the way she handled everything, like like Andy alluded to, like a uh, neurodivergency coded individual, um, the impacts of what uh, a traumatic event can do to a main character without overplaying it. That's something that really bothers me. Uh I feel like PTSD is like the acceptable mental health trope for a lot of romance novels because it's a troubled, traumatic past, but it's never quite depicted accurately. Like there aren't triggers per se. There's just like gazing out the window and looking far off. It's it's I think it's done very poorly in the community. Um, She didn't fall into any of those pitfalls. She did a very good job. Um, God, it was such a... But the, the sequel isn't out yet. Fr- oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna yell at Brittany anymore. I'm not gonna show up outside her window like you are with Alex DeCampi. I'm not gonna... Well, Alex is releasing two things this year coming up in, in uh, October, November. So I don't need to stand outside her window. It's well, coming. and also, Kathleen DePlume is releasing a sequel to Dragon Queen. Yes. So, you know... You may expect me not looking in your window, but I'll walk by, you know, respectfully. You'll respectfully Uh, find her window. (laughs) Yes, but I won't look in. (laughs) Brittany, though! How am I the the least stalker right now? Uh, Everyone gets to be normal in episode. It's your turn, Andy. I guess, but god damn. We each get one normal episode. Fair. Okay. You know what? Fair. So, um, what I'm going to say is you did hear the content warnings at the start of this episode. Um, This book has some heavy topics in it, but I think they're all handled well or handled in a way that isn't traumatic to the reader. Um, Yes, it's very respectfully done. 
Yeah, because this this main character does have a lot of awful things happen to her, as well as the main love interest has some terrible things happen, as well as just general piracy. Some bad things happen with piracy. You're usually not a pirate because your life went well. And I think that's really covered in a way that is done respectfully. It's not just trauma porn. Everything, if it doesn't have a reason, it has an effect that matters. Um... And and I think that's very powerful, I would say, that it's done so well. So, uh, would we like to begin the premise? I believe we must. So we get started, and uh, this poor character, Amelia, is a prisoner. We start reading this, she's immediately uh, held captive, and there is this fucking bitch named Catherine talking to her and and you're like oh she's the the captain or whatever she's the guard the leader of the guard and she sends them away to talk to Amelia privately and through contextual clues we discover that Catherine and Amelia had a relationship and Amelia was um Unfortunately, she was she was a bit naive, you know. She trusted this person without knowing Catherine that well, gave up a lot of secrets to her, and Catherine now has her taken hostage and uh for a prize to the king of that country because Amelia is from a very powerful magical family um that has been viewed as very evil and villainous, dragon sorcerers basically. Um, I believe Andy has a point. Oh, I, this is really dorky of me, but I got Descendants vibes a little bit from this. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Descendants, but it follows, um, the concept is it follows Maleficent's daughter. And I'm like, oh, okay. I know what's, I know what this is. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it just, it reminded me of this Disney movie and I'm sorry, but I was like, what the fuck? Well, to be fair, this book was inspired by another Disney movie, Pirates of the Caribbean. Was it really? Yeah, it was. If you read the uh, author's note at the end, um, it takes heavily heavy inspiration from Pirates of the Caribbean and Elizabeth Swan in particular. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I believe Elizabeth Swan was an awakening for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It, she was a... Do I want to be her or do I want to be, be with her? her? Oh, <laughs> sorry. No, yeah, what you said, not what I said. <laughs> anyway, so we're at her execution. That's how we start the book. That's how things get started. Um, Catherine is taunting her, sends the other guards away, says all this shit to her. Um, and Amelia makes a run for it because Catherine is dumb. Uh, Catherine is arrogant, I would say. Yes, very arrogant, very arrogant. So we begin with Amelia being on the run, completely alone, no family. Uh, it's, it's a very rough beginning for a character that we've read so far. I don't know if we've ever started a book with someone so at the bottom before. Uh Uh-uh. But she does drop a very banger line, if it's okay if I read it. Yeah. Go for it. Uh... I don't want to watch you descend into villainy, Amelia, says Catherine. Amelia's stare turned cold. Then close your eyes. Yeah. I had that tapped because that is an amazing line. Like, 
I'm just imagining Amelia, like, looking up from her place on the dungeon floor and then close your eyes and then, bam, escape. Um, I do want to say that um, the specific betrayal that occurred from Catherine is that we we don't learn the real specifics, but we know that due to Catherine um, and her betrayal, Amelia's people were wiped out, uh, which is an incredibly heavy topic. Her island was um, attacked and her people were killed. She is believed to be the last of the dragon sorcerers, the last of the Dragon Isle people because of the actions of Catherine and Amelia believes the actions of herself for being so naive and trusting Catherine um, when Catherine appeared uh, on their shore, essentially. Yes, uh, very, very heavy topic indeed. Um, so now Amelia is stuck with being the most wanted criminal in the land because she is the last surviving member of a powerful family of dragon sorcerers who are known as dragon sorcerers because they can command and communicate with dragons that can level cities to the ground. Go off Daenerys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this very much was like reading a Daenerys Targaryen femme Jack Sparrow AU Yes. <laughs> In the best way though. Yeah. In the best uh, way. With all due respect, that is what it felt like. It was all like... due respect. <laughs> We had Daenerys and Femme Jack Sparrow, enemies to lovers on a pirate ship. <laughs> it's so fucking good, though. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, as she's the last surviving member, they, she's got like the most wanted, you know, price on her head. So where can she go but somewhere where the king cannot reach? And that is the lawless pirate land. Uh that she stumbles across a lovely, kind individual named Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul. So, Paul is a thief. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Paul finds uh, Amelia's wanted poster on the post uh, at the pirate port and takes it and uses it as blackmail because Paul was like, I'm real suspicious by myself, but if I've got a lady with me, maybe I could steal some shit. And so his entire goal is to just steal from this one tavern when really he knows who Amelia is and that she's incredibly wanted and could have done something way more ambitious and instead is like, help me steal from this tavern. And I love Paul because he's such a dumbass. You know who Paul reminded me of? Hmm. In Dragon Queens, do you remember James? Yes, he is James. <laughs> yes, every woman's James. Yes. This is the Paul uh, wandering out of the woods being like, oh, I'm going to be a big deal. And then they get dealt with immediately <laughs> yeah. and you don't read about them for the rest of the book. I was cracking up so hard. I, I mentally casted him. And the actor I gave him was Jesse from fucking Breaking Bad. I don't know why, but that's who I saw as Paul. <laughs> so I was imagining I, like a less charming Paul Bettany in um, A Knight's Tale. 
Yeah. <laughs> like Paul Bettany at his dirtiest and nakedness. Yeah, his crustiest. Yeah. So, uh, she meets up with Paul, and Paul blackmails her into going to a tavern with him so she can be a distraction while he steals. He stupidly puts her wanted poster in front of her while he goes to, you know, steal around. He literally leaves his one piece of leverage on the table, literally on the table. So she she throws it in the fire and is like, all right, that's taken care of. And she tells the waitress, hey, you should go check on that guy I was with. He's going to rob you. And she's like, oh, okay. (laughs) So Amelia leaves. Uh, taking some bread with her because she she's been surviving off of whatever she can scrounge up. She's I think she's been on the run for like almost a month at this point. She's um, had a hard time. It was multiple months. There was a time skip. Uh, oh two to three God. months. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. been on the run for two to three months, and uh, one of the big problems is that her magic is drawn from energy specifically. So she's unable to use magic without an exchange of energy. That energy can be from herself, so from her own bodily energy that you would replenish via food and rest, or it can be through blood sacrifice. She doesn't want to do the blood sacrifices, um, so usually her magic comes from herself, but she's very um, not in a great place right now physically. Kids these days just don't want to do the blood <laughs> sacrifices like they used to. They keep slacking on the blood sacrifices. Dang Gen Z kids. <laughs> the blood sacrifices were just fine for us, but yeah. no, they come into the workforce and are like, blood sacrifices? Not for me. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. As a company does not condone blood sacrifice. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, can not be quoted in any court. <laughs> Why would you want I, to? I don't think I don't think stating that you can't protect you from it being done. I don't think I don't. That's what we have. Listen, Roxy, I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so anyway, uh, she leaves. She's got some loaves of bread with her hidden under her cloak. Um, because of course she fucking has a cloak because she sticks out like a sore freaking thumb. Yeah, it's uh, really in warm in this town. area, and yeah. she's wearing a winter cloak because she's trying to hide her her garb. <laughs> Fucking like a Viking in Jamaica. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, frick, what the shit? <laughs> so anyway, she, she leaves, and she realizes as she's leaving, well, okay, so Paul and her had had a, a little bit of a dialogue. Uh... And Paul had warned her about a captain in the area, a pirate captain named Maria. Maria. Captain Maria Wells of the Wicked Fates. And he was like, we have to do this fast because if she gets wind of this, we're dead. And if she finds out you're here, we're dead. We will be very dead, dead, dead. (laughs) And... She's like, I don't know why this is such a big deal. I remember Catherine complaining about this person, but I'm not scared. Um, And as she leaves the tavern, she realizes there's a lot more people walking around. A lot of these people have pistols and swords on them. Oh, shit. (laughs) The pirates have landed to visit their favorite tavern. The pirates are here. Yay. (laughs) 
And um, so we see from afar because Amelia immediately hides. She hides in the shadows, takes to an alley, and watches as Paul, the dumbass, basically tries and runs off and immediately runs into the captain because he's a dumbass. Um, and Ada, the shopkeeper, I mean the tavern keeper who was chasing him, uh, arrives as well. And you don't really hear the conversation going because we're in Amelia's perspective right now. But you see the captain seem to ask, like, what should be done about Paul? And Ada gives a nod, Ada the tavern keeper, implying that Paul should die for what he's done. And he is sliced hither, tither, up the middle. Guts abound. And we lose Paul. (laughs) I felt so bad for Paul, even though he was so scrungly and nasty. He just, you know, he was who he was. And he was upfront with who he was. He was a very eviscerated, unsmart thief. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say, I don't feel that bad for him because you know how like big pirate ships are he saw them coming and he's like yeah i'm gonna rob now i think that's a good idea very true he could have waited (laughs) like he knew captain wells was here (laughs) but he wanted to use amelia he wanted he could have taken any other like wanted person and been like "Uh come accompany me to the tavern but no he didn't just like in Dragon Queens, every story has a James that provides information and then needs to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just there for, like, the plot, like, a plot necessary character that you then kill or just send off. Like, okay, you're done. Get out of okay. here. But okay. the fascinating thing about this is it changes Amelia's tone real fucking quick. Because mm-hmm. at first she was like, I'm not afraid. I'm a dragon princess who escaped the king and then she's like in an alleyway like oh shit i need to go i need to and she's got like stolen loaves of bread and she's like are they gonna kill me i stole oh shit and maria the captain sees her and smiles Mm -hmm. Uh looks at her in the alleyway and just grins at her oh And so we have a little bit of like a a cat and mouse situation going on. Maria knows she's there, knows she was probably in league with Paul or stole or something because why else is she hiding in an alley like a weirdo? And she sends Judith, her cook, to go and basically find Amelia. And she does. And... (laughs) Judith basically gives her the option to go and speak with the captain or to not. However, as this is occurring, uh, suddenly Judith's tone changes a little bit. Like she doesn't really give anything away, but Amelia turns, like tries to back up and, and get away and runs directly into the captain. And that is when we get the first meeting of these two. The lean, leather-clad form that pressed against her belonged to someone who was, at the very least, strong enough to have firm abdomen muscles. Yet the distinct softness of the pirate's chest alluded to loosely bound breasts. She smelled a little like sweat, like you'd expect from a sailor. But there was another scent that clung to the woman's skin, too. A scent that was warm and sweet, like the tropics themselves. The curved handle of the pirate's sword dug painfully into Amelia's hip, which was enough to remind Amelia of the danger she was in. 
Amelia stepped backwards, stumbling clumsily out of the pirate's grasp, and she froze as she realized who she'd run into. Beneath a faded leather tricorn hat, mesmerizing brown eyes stared down at Amelia. Those eyes, so warm and dark, reminded Amelia of the dragon she loved so much, fire burning within, waiting to burst forth at some unknown moment. But what gave Amelia pause were those distinctive reddish-brown scars carved deeply into the pirate's brown skin. If she'd had any doubt that the woman who'd killed Paul was Captain Maria Wells, she had none now. The drawing on the wanted notice had depicted a crude caricature of the woman in front of her now. The artist may have known her features, but he clearly hadn't known her beauty. Because the real Captain Maria Wells was as beautiful as she was fearsome. But her scars, every single one of those, had been drawn correctly. She thinks she's hot. Immediately. She's got a crush. She's like, pirates. oh my god, this pirate's so hot, but also, I'm gonna piss my pants. <laughs> Honestly, the perfect mixture. Oh my god, you're hot and scary. So, I want to say, the more we learn about Maria um, as the story progresses, I cast her in my head as uh, Stephanie Beatrice. From Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 100%. Because, like, this scary, funny, intimidating, hot woman. It, like, I just immediately thought of Stephanie. That's so fair. I was just imagining her this entire book, like, yep, this is Stephanie Beatrice. If there's a movie, it's her. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, my God, a movie. That Sorry. That would be great. That would be great. Make a movie, everybody. So after we have their first meeting, um, Amelia is given the chance to run multiple times. She's given the chance to run. However, she soon realizes that she needs to get to an island, her island, Draken Isle, to make sure that her dragons are safe after what happened to her people. And to get to an island, she needs a ship. So very quickly, she realizes she needs Captain Maria Wells' help, because who's going to help a fugitive get across the sea? She could go and try and find someone else and bribe them. However, due to the level of her fugitiveness, it's unlikely she could pay enough to get anyone else to take her besides a pirate themselves. And she remembers Catherine hating Maria with a passion. So she figures the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. Specifically, Catherine Maria Wells is the perfect pirate to take her because they both hate Catherine. Catherine has done something to them both. Uh, or vice versa, or something. She doesn't really know the full story. She just knows that Catherine hated Maria, and she assumes it's mutual. Which is very fair. Usually one person doesn't hate another without the other one knowing at least something's going on. So... She decides to try her absolute hardest to get on the crew so she can get passage to her home, take care of the dragons, and just get her shit together. You know, she's had a few a few rough months. <laughs> yeah, she needs to get home. Um, her people are gone, but her dragons are still there. And they've been more family to her than her people were anyway, which we learn more about as the story progresses. But... It becomes very clear that impressing the captain is the way to get on the ship. Judith is a joy and a blessing and one of my favorite characters. I love Judith. 
I don't know how you feel yeah. about Judith, but I love Judith. I love Judith. I did too. I really, uh, Judith and Helen were my mm-hmm. two favorite characters. Helen was amazing. And I, I, big spoiler, Judith and Helen as a couple, amazing. I'd love explosive. to see. <laughs> yeah, explosive. I'd love to see that fully come to fruition because Judith clearly had a thing going on with Sarah in port, but like. Helen, she's right there. <laughs> okay, uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Doesn't say you should go with someone just because they're right there. But, <laughs> but also the chemistry. Yeah, no. Was that an explosion joke? I swear It was to God. an explosion joke. <laughs> <laughs> Helen is in charge of ammunitions and explosions. And uh, there's a sp- one time. Oh, go ahead. Blew off part of Maria's ship. Uh but we'll we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that becomes important later. <laughs> so yes, she realizes, shit, I'm gonna have to impress this lady if I want to get on the boat. <laughs> God damn it, Amelia! She's such a she's a pigeon. All right, yeah. they're both pigeons at times, but like I feel like Amelia specifically. Sometimes I'm just like, girl, yeah. girl, girl. You can tell that Amelia was very sheltered. She had a hard life, but she didn't experience a lot of what society was like because her culture was very different from the culture of the Elopian people, which is the the main people in this book, um, as well as just the outside world in general. Her Her island's culture was very different. And she literally struggles with even understanding, like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like non-literal speech at times. There'll be yes. times where members of crew will use like a euphemism. A euphemism and, saying, yeah, 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 and she'll be like, I don't, why does that matter? <laughs> and it's like, no, no, that's euphemism, my darling. My dear. So she's, she's basically from a society that's very different from everywhere else. And then she herself is an outcast within that outcast society. So it's like a double stuffed Oreo of miscommunication going on. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm not even mad because you're, that's so fair. That is fair. And I think that might be the title of the episode. Double stuffed Uh, Oreo of miscommunication. uh, Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't think we'll get an Oreo sponsorship. Uh. Oh, I would love that though. There's this, there's this fucking like, fudge coated oh i've had those stuffed oreo my mom got me them for christmas years ago and i still think about them listen they are the only cookie that is vegan like the only naturally yeah big name brand cookie that's vegan so i can eat them without my tummy doing a hurdy and they didn't they didn't decide to go vegan and make their recipe all weird they they just were they just were that's so cool Sponsor us, please. I would love an Oreo. Oreos. Sponsor this podcast that's very new and and still making a foothold. It'll do something for you? And it says the word slut constantly. It'll be great for your brand. We say slut a lot. Hit us up for adult Oreos. Yeah, adult Oreos. I like to imagine Brittany's, Brittany's been listening to the podcast up until this point. She's like, you know, there's other book reviewers out there. walks away maybe i shouldn't finish that book just to spite there's other book reviewers who are less crude god isn't that every author that listens to us though i don't know christian loved us 
That's fair. <laughs> so did so did Kathleen Dupont. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're mutuals now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, anyway, uh, Amelia finally realizes, hey, I should go with the healing angle because I'm a healer from you know my family, and she needs a surgeon. Surgeons are very valued. Uh, throughout history, but especially when you're in a job where people are constantly losing limbs and having to wear eye patches. So Maria's just like, shit, yeah, I guess so. All right. <laughs> After a lot of banter, though. After a lot of banter. Also, also, I have to mention something. I have to... <laughs> if you're watching the VOD, I just got very uncomfortably close to, to my So camp. close. She is, like, eating it. Closest I've been. Um... There is this lady at the tavern <laughs> named Jane. Oh, Jane. And, and during the beginning, Jane goes and sits on Maria's lap and starts flirting with her. And, and then she goes over to Amelia and her boobies right in her face, right in Amelia's. And Amelia turns like bright tomato red. There is an establishment for woman loving woman in this scene <laughs> right out of the gate we are like oh these ladies they're like ladies this is just yeah, a dumb thing yeah. yeah okay and uh i like that there was no like extreme explanation of it it's just this is how the world is why would we need to describe this it's just how people can be attracted to each other i loved that mm-hmm. i loved it so much yeah uh, there was really no like it was described that like gender roles were more rigid in Elopia. Um, but even on Amelia's Island, gender roles weren't really a thing. You just did what you did. You did what you were, you know, good at. And there wasn't gendered clothing or anything like that. And, and I would assume in the same vein that it didn't really matter who you were attracted to. Uh, however, uh, as we much later learn, Amelia discovered she was attracted to ladies because she met a siren. And she saw those boobies and was like, damn. Tibbies? <laughs> yeah, uh, because the nakedness wasn't quite common in her in her group. And then she saw those boobies and was like, I like ladies. <laughs> <laughs> up because in this episode Corinne's wearing this pirate corset. Oh my god. Her tits are just they look incredible. They're in god. her neck. Thank you. Yeah. They are I am presenting the ladies today. They even have a little decoration around them. They have a decoration <gasps> between them. They have a little skull necklace. Um they have some frills. Uh Andy. <laughs> this show is all about the girls today in more ways than one. I'm looking away so that I can have at least some claim to decorum <laughs> and rudeness. It, l- listen, there's this meme going around because we're very much in Baldur's Gate season right now. Yes! And everyone, and it's like, um, I wear sunglasses so no one can see where I'm staring. <laughs> and they get really close, like right on top of what they're staring. That's me. Uh, <laughs> I just saw that meme today. <laughs> 
That's me. So, so anyway, I, I just wanted them to know that that little scene happens. And it's very fascinating. Uh, and Maria does go to have some fun with Jane um, upstairs and tells Judith. All right. Give this coin to Judith. Well, she says it's to Amelia. She says, give this coin to Judith. She'll know what to do with it and know that you've been welcomed aboard. Judith, who is in the middle of her own little romantic spat with uh, a tavern winch named Sarah, goes, oh, shit. (laughs) Immediately leaves Sarah in the middle of... And Sarah's like, I thought I had you all night. You said I had you all night. Excuse you? (laughs) Yeah, there's a... There's a a a tiff going on. (laughs) And Amelia's like, no, no, it's fine. And Judith's like, no, you don't understand. If Maria tells us to do this, we have to do this. Uh, so they leave. Um, and oh my God, what's his name? Is it Folk? Folk, yeah, Folk. I loved Folk. Oh my God. I wish we got um, more of Folk. I feel like I've, I've, Folk is such a hard character to have like in a scene because I, I feel like he dominates the scene in, in such a powerful way that... I feel like if there was a movie adaptation, we would see a lot more Hulk because we just see him like around and like interacting. But as soon as he's the the center of the scene, you're like, ah, yes, Folk. <laughs> so Folk is the pirate that is over by the longboats uh, waiting for Judith and Amelia. And we learn that his tongue is gone, so he has to use sign language to communicate. And it's one of the most fascinating examples of utilizing sign language in a book I've read because it wasn't like overly forced in and it was described very well. It wasn't like, it wasn't articulated to such an extreme where it was like he did this specific hand symbol and it meant this or he did that. It was very naturally written uh, and it was really cool to see. Um, and I think the big thing was that the crew understood him. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they would often translate for Amelia, who was still getting to know Falk and didn't quite know the signs and what he did. And it was a very natural way to kind of learn about the crew and learn about Falk um, through these interactions. I, I feel like Falk sh- like stole the show anytime he was around because I loved him so much. It was like him and Judith and Helen. I was like, this crew... Chef's kiss. And then also at the longboats, we see Zane, who is Maria's quartermaster. <laughs> He's got such a stick up his ass and it's the funniest he shit. Does. <laughs> he does. Oh, and I love him. I genuinely love Zane. Uh, now, folks, I want you to know that this is a book we highly recommend. Okay. If you want to read it, I would genuinely stop now. Yeah. Because there is a very major element of who done it later on in the book. And if you hear what we say beforehand, you're going to have that spoiled for you. Um, but then again, you can listen to this and then read on your own separately if you're okay with spoilers. Uh, you will still enjoy this book immensely. But I will warn you, there is a very cool who done it that happens halfway through the series. Um, and we're going to spoil the shit out of it. <laughs> I, um, I, I want, I'm going to play a little bit of catch up. Um, one of the things that I noticed about this book that is absolute WLW fucking catnip is 
Maria is constantly, constantly doing something to lift Amelia's head up to look at her. That is WLW catnip. It's, ooh, ooh. Yeah, she she does the, like, hand under the chin, like, the finger lifting mm-hmm. gently. Because Amelia does not like making eye contact. And the captain is like, you will make eye contact with me. And it is very hot, very tense. Amelia, um, I mean, uh, Maria has such an energy about her. It is, I think this is one of the more, like, a character that really is described as having, like, an energy and an aura and a just a vibe that really comes through in a book so well because I can imagine Captain Maria Wells commanding a room commanding a ship I can imagine her being such an asshole and yet also having the dedication of this entire crew Mm -hmm. and I I, that is what I will say she is a very well-written character yes Um. so we have Zane the quartermaster we have Hulk we have Judith and we have Amelia and they get on this rowboat and Amelia is sailed off to see the wicked fate, this giant warship uh, that was stolen from the king with these beautiful cannons on it. Just this huge presence of a ship. Um, it's a big it, fuck you ship. Like it is. Oh, a, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good ship. <laughs> And Amelia's just like, oh, what have I done? Okay. <laughs> because she was expecting, like, a merchant ship, you know, because that's yeah. what most pirate ships are. Pirates take over merchant ships, not warships. That is, that is not the norm. A, a captain who can take over a warship is something else entirely. And uh, she starts off by helping Judith. Uh, Judith is the cook on the ship. And that's that's kind of I'm glossing over quite a bit, but that's how she gets her footing uh, before anything really happens, before any battles, before her surgery is needed. She starts off as being a little sous chef and it's adorable. It's so cute. I I don't want to say that there's a lot of filler, but I will say that, like, there's a lot of flirtation over like a period of time. um, And that period of time is kind of. Like, it, you need it for the story. Uh, but for us, like, summing it up purposes, we are going to be kind of, like, keep it on pushing simply because, like, not a lot is happening. They're flirting and they're constantly into each other. But it's so good. It's yeah. good. Flirting is so good yes. between Maria and uh, Amelia. It's so There's good. constantly moments of them having, like, an argument where Amelia is testing the limits of the captain and the captain is being like no i'm your captain this is how being a pirate works Mm -hmm. and then amelia is getting distracted by oh she smells nice yeah (laughs) just so many times hibiscus and oranges are mentioned so often throughout the book but i ain't complaining amelia is constantly being like i need to stop being attracted to her because this is i have goals but this woman is hot (laughs) I'm going to set all these people on fire if they don't let me go. <laughs> but damn. <laughs> but damn. That ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there's so much flirting and tension that we are skipping over because like there's no way for us to accurately give you that tension without just reading the entire book to you. It, yeah. it is it is about the tension. <laughs> it's so 
good. It's like, I, it's like they really immerse you into the tension because yes, there are visual descriptors, but they are sense described. There's temperatures described. There's, I, I don't know how to, to, to explain how immersive this book is when it doesn't need to be just hot damn. Some of the best tension I've ever read in any book I've read in my entire life. Yeah. Beautifully done. Yep. It's very fucking good. And they can't escape each other. They're on the same ship. (laughs) Um, Here's an example, for instance. Um, So when they're speaking about um, how you cannot draw your sword first on the ship, drawing your sword first and attacking another crewmate is strictly against the rules. And so if it happens, you better have someone there as a witness to say that you didn't draw first or you didn't provoke this fight. Amelia swallowed, her heart pounding in her chest. I don't like chaos on my ship, Em, Maria warned. Despite the precariousness of her situation, Amelia's thoughts once again drifted towards that enticing scent on Maria's skin. Warm and soothing, like hibiscus petals and oranges, with hints of sea salt and leather underneath. She smelled of the tropics. Amelia didn't want to like Maria's scent. She didn't want to like the way Maria's long, lean body felt against her own. She didn't want to like the way Maria's fingers felt around her wrists. And she certainly didn't want to long for Maria the way she longed for her now. She didn't want to feel this mix of fear and desire that swirled around inside her head each time the pirate captain was near. Do you understand, eh? Maria said slowly. With a defeated sigh, Amelia nodded. Maria's eyes darkened. Say it. Amelia's brows furrowed. Vampire. <laughs> she couldn't be serious. But as the tense silence stretched between them, it became increasingly clear that she was. Yes, Amelia said finally. Yes, I understand. Maria leaned just a little bit closer, which resulted in her strong leather-clad thighs slipping between Amelia's legs. It was such a casual action that Amelia was sure Maria hadn't meant to do it. But the sudden pressure unleashed an overwhelming heat in Amelia's body, all the same. Amelia bit her lip as she tried to hold back the embarrassing moan that tried to escape. That was by far the last thing Amelia needed. And then we get a yes what captain scene because Amelia struggles to call her captain captain. Very, very much a say my name situation. Hold on tight, spider monkey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Right in my ear. <laughs> You're so welcome. Oh. That was just for you, Roxy. Oh. My spider monkey. Stop. <laughs> anyway. So there's there's so many freaking scenes that I, like Corinne said, I, I, I hesitate to call it filler. Because it all helps build up to their relationship, and it's very well done. But we would be here all day. <laughs> but it goes, it goes something like that. If know? we read every single scene where something like that happens, we would be here all day. We would just re- be reading the book to you. Book, that is yeah. the book. I would read the entire book, and then there'd be a copyright claim on this because you can't read an entire book on a podcast without getting the permission. Um, and that's not what we're doing here. We're analyzing it. <laughs> We're not just reading you stories. However, I would do that. I may do that in the Discord. If you want me to just read you stories, come join the Discord. Maybe we'll have a story night. 
<laughs> we've we've read them fan fiction. Yes. Yeah, so. We've done fan fiction. We can do like bedtime story night or something, you know? Visions of Sonic running through their head <laughs> as Pikachu the father runs <sighs> on in dread. <laughs> God. Christmas is gonna be great. I I know you meant Pikachu the father as like a uh, like a impreg type thing, but I was like I was picturing fucking Pikachu in a habit then, like, as a priest. Yeah, Father Pikachu. <laughs> he is. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a forbidden love. Pikachu is a is a Catholic priest, and Sonic confesses. It's a demon. <laughs> A speed demon. <laughs> Sonic is a speed demon who confesses in the confessional. And <laughs> Father, Father Pikachu falls for his voice. So anyway, uh, she, you know, she gets on deck after one of their flirting sessions. She's so mad. She's upset. And she runs into this boulder of a cretin. Uh, named what was it? Buchanan. It was, Buchan or something. It was like Buchan? I would say it was like Buchan. Bubba. Pit Buchan. Buchan. <laughs> I'm gonna call him. I'm gonna call him Bubba. Because it was like Bubba. It was like yeah. Buchanan without like the Annan. <laughs> He's stupid, so he deserves a stupid name. Bubba. Uh, we love she... all our Bubbas out there, though. Yeah, that's true. Bubbas are usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so she stumbles into him. And instead of just like, oh, my bad. Oh, my bad, too. Okay, bye. It is an altercation. Uh, he calls her a bitch, and he's just absolutely vile and gross. And Maria has to get in between the two. And she's just like, what the? F- already? You're already getting into fight? I just got, you literally just got here. Literally. Hadn't he beaten the shit out of her a little bit? No, no, not That's yet. That's later. Oh, not yet. He no, beats no, the no, shit no, out no. of her later. My bad, sorry. So this is already established. Yeah. She's having a rough time on the pirate ship. This dragon homeschooled lady um, is just, she's like in the pirate detention center uh, with the tough kid. And uh, all the only friend she really has is Judith, who we discover is her friend but is also originally being her friend to get information out of her she is spying for the captain yeah which because go, go ahead andy go oh, ahead sorry it's it, uh, a safety thing i would think like you don't know who it is you're gonna talk to someone who's friendly that's just due diligence but ouch oof yeah like judith really does care for her judith does like her they have a rapport but at the same time she is judith has been tasked with making sure that amelia isn't a threat to the ship um and you know the whole reason judith was chosen is because she and the captain go way back they have a history together and the captain probably trusts judith more than anyone else on the ship and so that's why she tasked judith with keeping an eye on Amelia. And Amelia, as we will recall, did have a wanted sign up. However, Paul took the only wanted sign of her, so Maria hadn't seen it yet. All Maria knows about Amelia is that she's a fugitive and she's good at healing. She doesn't know about the magic. And she knows she, she stole know. some bread. Yes. So she does constantly call her a thief, mm-hmm. um, which is very sexually tense. Uh, <laughs> The tension. Uh, and 
So all all Maria knows about her is that she's not telling the truth about who she really is. And um, she goes by the name M instead of Amelia, which is the dumbest fucking fake name. Why would you use the first two letters of your name as your alias? Well, and everybody who knows she has an alias makes fun of her for it. Like, it is called out as that is the dumbest alias. Oh, and it is dumb. I will say, though, I did appreciate because that was used as a tool to show how quickly she trusted Judith because yeah. she almost told her her real name. Yeah. Yeah, she almost like told that. Judith her real name. And when she was making up a fake name, like, Judith was trying to help her. And she recommended the last name Rochester because it was the first name that came to mind. Catherine's last that name is Catherine's Rochester. last name is Rochester. And Judith is like, mm, no, let's not do that one. That's a bad. Don't, that's not. How, why is that the first name that comes to mind, you lunatic? Um... <laughs> Amelia is a struggle muffin to the extreme. Yeah. She just... Judith is her savior. (laughs) So on the ship, there's some amazing folks. Uh, There's Helen, who we meet, who is the person Amelia ends up healing the most, I'd argue. Uh, Helen is in charge of explosions. And as Amelia is signing the code to join the crew... There is a rule written down in their code of conduct at the very bottom that says, don't fuck Helen. And it's the funniest thing I've ever read. Because at first she's like, what? What? All these other rules what? seem like logical rules. And now you're telling me not to fuck one specific person. <laughs> Why is this added on at the bottom and it's written? What? And then you find out that Judith and Helen had a time together below deck. Uh, and as Helen is in charge of ammunitions and explosions, they got around in the gunpowder. One thing led to another, and half of the ship basically came apart. Uh, hence the rule. <laughs> they had an explosive time, we'll say. God damn it. <laughs> I will say a lot of the crew moments really feels like whenever you're joining a pre-established friend group. Yeah. That's what it feels like, because there's all these in-jokes, there's all these references to people that are gone, like, you don't know what's going on, and you're just kind of like, okay, sounds good, I'm here. You really (laughs) feel like Amelia in those situations, where, like, these stories about what happened, about why things are the way they are, about these people who aren't there anymore, it's really well done in a way where you feel like the outsider hearing these stories, trying to ingratiate yourself to the crew, um... Yeah, just a a really done, a really done, a really well done um, way to get you to know the crew without being like lore dumping on them. Because it's all presented as like natural conversation. People having in-jokes with each other, people telling stories, people being like, ah, don't drink Judas rum. It's god awful. (laughs) And, and I will say there are moments where folks are kind to her, um, when she had that mishap with Bubba, uh, the carpenter, um, I believe his name was Jonas. Yeah, Jonas. Uh, told the captain, hey, he was being a dick to her beforehand. <laughs> and like, Judith is kind to her. Zane is the only one who's really. A dick. Un- yeah, yeah, he's, he's definitely a dick. Um, but it's more in the fact that he doesn't trust her because she hasn't told them who she really is. Uh, and he is the quartermaster 
which means that he's basically second in command. Um, it's his so job to keep the ship running day to day, uh, to yes. make sure that they have food, that they have water, that they have supplies, and to basically keep charge of the crew in the sense of what they're doing daily. And him not trusting somebody means, like, he's keeping a closer eye on them. He's make He wants to know their, why they're there. Um, and so it's really logical that Zane doesn't trust her. She's done nothing to gain his trust. And the shit was weird. The captain doesn't just bring folks on the ship that often. It's not like a thing. Well, and especially, and, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, she's admitted she's not a sailor. Yeah. 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 That's what I was going to say. Uh, especially yeah. with no sailing experience. He's like, she doesn't just do this. What the fuck? What is going on? Yeah. And we um, later learn that most of the crew has connections to Maria in the past. Most of her crew has been with her a very long time. So, And she's helped their families yeah, as well. She's helped their families. Mm-hmm. She has a, a strong connection to them. So bringing on somebody who has no sailing experience... Endangers them. Yeah, almost. it, it does yeah. endanger them. Because if you have someone without that experience, there's somebody on your crew who can't help in a situation where sailing experience is needed. And, of course, Amelia does bring surgery to the table, which they needed. Jonas the Carpenter had been doing their medical stuff before that, um, and that was mainly just amputations, because uh, he can cut wood. <laughs> Finger guns. He cut limbs! He can cut some limbs <laughs> off. All kinds. Uh, so the only real resistance she has is from the asshole she runs into and from Zane. Everyone else is kind of, you know, meh about her. Um... Except the captain is constantly on her case. And it is delightful. Yes. Um, Baker flirting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing banter. There's amazing banter in this book. Well, and Maria is very funny in, like, a deadpan way. She will just say shit. And, like, it. she'll say it, and it seems like she means it. And then you're like, hmm... You're joking. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to murder me. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> there is this very funny moment when they're going over the code. And she's like, if you do this, murder. If you do this, murder. murder. If you do this. And Amelia's like, let me guess, murder. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> How'd you guess? <laughs> and she does say something that's really cool. Um, where if things are brought to a vote in front of her crew, everyone's vote is equal. The captain doesn't have an extra say in anything or the final say, which is wild. Mm -hmm. Absolutely wild. Um, And as you learn about Maria, why that is the case ends up making sense. Uh, She is not tyrannical. She is somebody who is coming from a place of having been under the king, King Eldrick, who is a fucking asshole, eat the rich. Um, eat the rich. Eat the rich. Um, I'm not hungry, but y'all can, y'all can get something. <laughs> uh, and being in the king's navy and experiencing what rule, what being ruled over is like without having a say and what happens when power goes unchecked. And so it's very important to Maria that every crew member has the same say as even her. Because if she's going down the wrong path, she wants to know. 
But that means she also can't protect Amelia if it comes to it. So she tries very hard to drive home. Stop being a dumbass. I can't protect you if you run your mouth and then get in a fight with someone. I can't, you know, my vote is equal to everyone else. For the love of God, just do your job and we'll get you where you need to go if need be. Just do your job, please. Oh my God. <laughs> Stop picking fights with people. You absolute lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She doesn't. She doesn't. It, she, um, Amelia. Amelia she, struggles. She's so stubborn. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's very stubborn. And she is coming from as much as she was an outcast in her um, from her people. She is coming from a place of privilege in the sense that she was the daughter of a chieftain. She was, as we later learn, a chosen one. She was somebody who was not questioned once she said something you know people would not try to press upon her like things she didn't want to do other than her mother being a bitch (laughs) um most people respected her in some way or another even if she was an outcast among her people and then going to a situation where she is not respected because she has not gained that respect gets her into a lot of trouble she is Particularly with people like uh, Buchan. Bubba. B- Bubba. <laughs> who are raging misogynists. I don't know how he was under a female captain so long because, like, damn. I do. She says. Uh, he tried, He started this shit before and Maria had him flogged. Oh, yeah. Well, he I don't know why he didn't just go. <laughs> I don't know. I will say there are some men who, sorry, I'm going to get a little therapist-y. Um, when it is a woman who is in an authoritative position or a career, uh, such as if that woman is a lawyer or a therapist, someone who can have potential power over them, they will treat them differently than a woman they perceive as being lesser like if someone is a waitress or just in the service industry, there is within their psyche this kind of compartmentalized misogyny, kind of like how domestic violence abusers can respect their mom, uh, but then they hurt their partner. Um, That is a thing that exists, and it's very unfortunate. And something we're trained to do in the mental health field is to know when someone is being a good client and acting respectful to the person who can write up their diagnosis versus how they genuinely treat others they perceive as below them. Uh, He perceives her as a captain and someone who can give him terrible consequences if he does not fall in line. However, she is a no-name who is new and someone he believes he can bully around uh, scot-free. So not to not to get too mental health therapist about it, but it is something that exists in the world and something you have to be careful about whenever you're with someone. See how they treat you versus someone who doesn't matter in their life. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that is always one of the big um, red flags is when you go out to a restaurant with someone you've just started dating, how do they treat the wait staff? Uh-huh. 
because how they treat the wait staff is how they really are as a person. Are they kind? Do they tip well? Are they understanding of the stakes? Or are they an absolute raging asshole? And a lot of individuals wait until after marriage to show their true colors, or especially after a child is produced, because then they perceive them as now having control over another person legally, and that facade kind of drops. And you see it, tale as old as time. See it constantly. <laughs> tale as old as time. Assholes oh. in the street. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Musical coming soon. <laughs> coming to the internet near you. But anyway, she's having a rough time on the ship. People aren't super mean to her, but she's struggling. She's, she, as Corinne said, she was God's favorite princess. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so she's, she's, Having to learn what it's like to actually have a boss, uh, especially someone who your life kind of depends on. Like you have to listen to certain things in the moment, like in the heat of battle or like if you're in a storm, like you can't go questioning authority and getting your dicks out and sword fighting when there's like a kraken over the boat. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta fall in line. And that is something that Amelia struggles with a lot. She's not used to having to cede to authority. And that's where a lot of the tension comes from. It's just brat taming. Yeah, it's just it really is. Fantasy brat. Taming. It yeah. is. It's fantasy brat taming. But I have to say, I like it a lot better than uh, the traditional brat taming. Uh, you will listen to. Yeah, me. like you're a fucking twenty-two-year-old twink in an Armani shirt. Why would I listen to you? About? Instead, yeah. I'm a pirate captain, and you could die. Okay, you know what? That makes sense. That's different. I will stab you. I will cut you in half. And I will cut you in half for the safety of my crew. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot better uh, reasoning to be like, no, you need to drop the attitude, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> but also, don't don't threaten to cut your brats in half, please. Yeah. Generally speaking, please do not threaten to cut uh, your romantic now partners in, in half. Impaling, uh, <laughs> please. Impaling, you can threaten. Um, but, uh, she, she's, she's kind of joining the crew. She's, you know, very much still on the outs, but whatever, constantly bigger flirting with the captain, uh, hangs out with Judith. And then, as I spoiled, she, there's a, there's a preceding event. And I'm trying to remember what it was. I think some, I think Maria pushed a button, uh, that reminded Amelia of Catherine and that's not a button to be fiddled with and it kind of sends her into a very self-destructive mindset and she goes on the deck and um I I believe this is the moment that she yeah goes she, to fight yeah she accidentally runs into um Bubba again and they're gonna Drop it. Like, she's ready to drop it. You know, Bubba is a dick uh, about it. And she's about to turn away. You know, she's she's not getting into it. And then he says, um, and I don't remember the exact phrasing, and I don't even know if I want to say the exact phrasing, but he essentially implies that he would have his way with her if, situation, if the situation were different. And she snaps. 
turns around and punches him in the fucking face. Which as he, she should. As she should. He deserved it. And from there results in a massive beatdown. He is three times her size, probably. And just a huge mountain of a man. And she, while she is a sword fighter, she's not a fist fighter. And while she is a, a sorceress, she is not big. She is small and also still recovering from her months of starvation and being on the run. And he kicks the shit out of her. Now, Jonas the Carpenter was there and did witness this. And he saw that um, Bubba did start the situation. And so when the captain finally comes to break this up, after Amelia is getting the shit kicked out of her, Jonas speaks up for Amelia and says, hey, he started it. She didn't start this. Yes, she punched him first, but he was being incredibly disrespectful to the point that you would have done something if you had heard it. And this essentially immediately results in his death. Which is not a standard response to this situation. Fighting is not a cause for death in the code. Neither is lying um, or misleading. It is cause for punishment, but lying to Maria. Yes. Is. (laughs) Yes. Lying to Maria can very well lead to death. Um, Usually, as Judith later basically scolds her on, like she usually she wouldn't have killed him. Uh, Killing a, a sailor like that while they're out at sea for basically just being an asshole generally isn't something that flies on the ship. It's not something that happens normally. However, Judith knows the captain has a soft spot. She has a soft spot for Amelia, and she also has a, I don't want to say hard spot. That's not like what I want to say. She has a vendetta, I suppose, against abusers. Mm -hmm. And he kind of hit both those switches. God, I love her. Yeah. Yeah, She does not let abusers live. No. Unless otherwise stopped. Um, And that is something we learn about Maria. And part of the reason why some of her crew are so indebted to her, part of why um, Jane at the tavern cared for as much as she did, uh, part of why Judith is so, you know, loyal to the captain is because the captain has helped a lot of people who were in situations where they were being taken advantage of, where they were being abused, where they were being hurt. And the captain stepped in and made, and fixed the situation right quick because she doesn't put up with that. And Bubba, uh, as we're calling him, was acting like one of those assholes and also was doing it to someone that, well, Maria's got a soft spot for. She's, Oh, they really, the whole crew is mummering about it, but really only Judith knows the extent, I would say. Judith says specifically, God, you're just all her vices rolled into one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I do want to take a moment here to say, you're never really allowed to forget that Maria is a bad person. Yeah. Like, that sounds bad. But they're pirates. You don't succeed at piracy by being Robin Hood, necessarily, right? Um, she says some really shitty and mean things. She does some really fucking cruel shit. There are no good characters here. Like, I I don't mean like good. I mean, like, there's no like, 
lawful good character, which is fine. It's a pirate book. But if that's something you're looking for in this book, heads up. I also, oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I completely agree. And I love that about the book because it doesn't try and whitewash uh, piracy. It, it doesn't try and say, it's fine. It's all fun and games. It's like, no, people just die. Like, this captain will murder you. Yeah. And the yeah. captain does good things as well. She's a, not a terrible person, but we're living in shades of gray. And I think that is the really important thing is that this book is about the shades of gray. And it's about two people who are deemed as villains finding comfort in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I also probably should have brought this up as not it's not necessarily a content warning, Um but my fellow emetophobia sufferers, people that cannot deal with Upchuck, this does happen in this book. It's never, like, focused on, but heads up, that is in the book as well. Excuse me. Yeah, That's- it does happen. It's not really focused on. I- I'm somebody who, yeah. when it's focused on, I'm like, yeah. And it didn't, it never bothered me. But, like, if you're really sensitive to it, I could see it being a, a problem for you. Mm-hmm. So, heads up. I just, just to clarify, I wanted to be like, okay, all right, fellow, fellow folk. But anyway. It kind of makes sense, though, because, like, at sea, you get seasick, and, and like, there's other scenarios where that happens. Uh, so it's a thing. It, it's not focused on, though. It's just like, oh, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So after this altercation, after Bubba is no more. <laughs> uh, he is in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> under the sea <laughs> under the sea down where it's wetter down where the blood seeps into the sand <laughs> so anyway um the musical episode the musical episode my camera uh, keeps on focusing there are some very cute little things that happen uh afterwards like uh amelia decides to name the cats on the ship that are just, they were just there to, you know, deal with the rats. They hadn't really been named before. But Amelia has a very soft spot for animals. Uh, she was very close to her dragons. She likes them more than people. Um, and cats are, if anything, little dragons. <laughs> they are. She gives them names. Uh, and then Maria stumbles across her and she's like, what are you doing? And she holds up this giant fluffy cat and goes, you have to name him. And Maria gives gives him the funniest freaking name. Uh, She calls him Rat Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) And Amelia looks at him and she's like, are you okay with this name? And the cat like nods. (laughs) And she's like, he's he's okay with it for now. He's he's cool with it. (laughs) He'll Um, be Rat Slayer. There's just these really cute moments. Like, there's another moment where Maria and Amelia have dinner together. And uh, I, I think, is this the one where the kiss happens? I There's a kiss I that happens. So. Hold on. I have the first. Or maybe it's, maybe it's when they're fighting. I, so, maybe yes, it's the first kiss they're is above the dead. fight. The first kiss yeah, is the fight. The fight. So That's I- right. I do want to say there is going to be some timeline confusion because as much as we love pirate books and as much as we love this, the timeline is confusing because the setting stays the same throughout the entire goddamn book. Okay. 
Yeah. There, there are big events that happen, but the little slice of life things that happen, it's kind of hard to keep in line. Because it's all right. on in the same place. It's all on the ship. Yeah. After we get on the ship, everything is on the ship up until the very end of the book. So it, the timeline's a little wibbly-wobbly if you're just, like, going back and trying to remember, wait, when did this happen? But I think, I think this is when she was feeling self-destructive because she pulls out a sword. I believe. Yes. In one of the situations where she's feeling self-destructive, she... Amelia is. Yes, yes. Amelia. She challenges the captain to a fight. Um, and I, I actually have that. Um, so they they have a bit of a fight. And then um, uh, with one swing, Maria knocked the sword out of Amelia's hand. And with the next, she nearly sliced open Amelia's throat. She stilled the blade, her arm outstretched and rigid, just in time to stop it from slicing Amelia's skin but not in time to stop it from slicing through several strands of Amelia's hair. Amelia stared at the captain, fully expecting to die. Yield, Maria growled. Amelia opened her mouth, but no sound came out. Maria stepped forward, causing the blade to press into Amelia's skin. Her soft brown curls were loose around her shoulders, her headscarf partially untied, and there was one tiny tear in the sleeve of her shirt. But aside from that, she looked no worse for wear. Amelia, on the other hand, was already bleeding. I said, Maria snarled, stepping closer, yield. Amelia watched Maria's mouth as it formed the words. She watched the way Maria's full lips glistened, the way her teeth gleamed when she growled, with a sharp blade pressed against her throat and a reckless sea behind her. For whatever reason, Amelia couldn't seem to look anywhere else. Only a moment ago, Amelia had been the only one of them panting for breath. But now, Maria looked breathless as well, her chest rising and falling with each breath, and a familiar flush unfurled beneath her golden brown skin. Maria took another step forward. This should have sent Amelia plummeting into the sea below, or just taken off her head completely, but Maria shifted the angle of the sword, holding it diagonally instead. Amelia stared up at the pirate captain, baffled by the many sensations swirling inside her as Maria's body and the sword pressed against Amelia all at once. Amelia had never known fear and desire to entangle themselves as closely as they did now. Maria was close enough to kill her, or kiss her, and though Amelia was sure the captain intended to kill her, the thought of kissing her opened a desperate ache inside of her. Amelia opened her mouth, but again, only silence. Then, with a growl of frustration, Maria kissed her. Amelia gasped as Maria's mouth pressed into hers. The kiss took hold of every part of Amelia, possessing her in a way that no other kiss ever had. It burrowed into the wounds of her heart and aggravated them. Maria's mouth felt so soft and warm against hers, even as it pressed hard enough to hurt. Maria kissed with enough anger and force that it might have thrown Amelia overboard had she not grasped Amelia's hip with her free hand. Her tongue pressed into Amelia's mouth, caressing Amelia's tongue until she moaned. Amelia tasted fruit and rum on Maria's tongue and an intoxicating mix of anger and lust in her kiss. She leaned forward, clutching a thong of Maria's doublet, even as the sword pressed into her throat. Maria seemed to realize the danger before Amelia, pulling away with a gasp. Fuck. She licked her lips, and her brows furrowed as she stared at Amelia. I... Amelia stammered, her lips still aching. Yield? That's what it took, freaking kiss her. <laughs> she wasn't gonna yield until you kiss her. But there, there are these amazing moments, like the first kiss happening after a sword fight, the tension between them having dinner together alone in the cabin. There's just all these delicious little moments that we do not have the time to cover. I, 
out of all the books we've read, this is one of my like top three mm-hmm. for y'all to go read. It's so good. It's so well done. There is so much tension and it's very well written. You, most of the time we're in Amelia's perspective, but we get little bits of Judith. We get little bits of Maria. And I think those are sprinkled in well to help us understand the other characters. Um, it felt a little strange because we didn't get any of Amelia or Judith until about midway through the book. And maybe we should have had a bit of Amelia or Judith prior to that to uh, kind of set the tone that that was going to happen. Because the first time it happened, I was like, oh, whoa, wait, who, who, whose brain yeah, are we in? Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. yeah, we're in a new brain now. Um, and so I feel like maybe that should have been established a little bit earlier that we were going to have switches in perspective. But they are rare. Um, and they're usually, it's done for a reason. And I do understand that. Um, I feel like maybe we could have just had a little bit more, like, a chapter or something from each of them earlier that would have then set the tone that, hey, this can happen. We can get perspectives. But in a lot of ways, we're only getting Amelia's perspective in the beginning because we don't know the other characters. So I kind of see it both ways. Um, just just like Maria, who has two swords, she can go both ways. So anyway, uh, as the story progresses and... After a very romantic night together that ends in a fight, because of course it does, because these two can't not bicker for five minutes. <laughs> they can't not fight for five fucking minutes. <laughs> she she leaves their little private dinner, and uh, she walks by Pelton Jonas, and she's carrying all this stuff in her arms, and they're like, where, where were you? And she's like, oh, I was just getting stuff out of the kitchen. I'm just going to go take care of it. And they're like, uh, what's in your drink? And rather than show them that she has the captain's special wine in that drink, because then it would give away that she was dining with the captain, she downs it before. And she's just like, oh, it was rum. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh, and she's like, I'm just going to go have a little... We'll walk around on the deck, clear my mind. Uh, and Jonas is like, oh, you should go over to the starboard side. You know, the moon's really pretty there. So she goes over there and she goes to clear her head and just, you know, think about how things are developing with the captain because, oh, they are a developing. Um, And then she hears a sound. And the cat next to her, Rat Slayer, uh, hisses and he is staring. Like there is something behind the barrels. So she has a little bit, just a little, little bit of warning, which probably saved her life before a unknown shadow comes out and stabs her uh, with a blade that is coated in the same drug that was used on her when she was in the king's dungeons. Uh, something we didn't go into depth over because, you know, why would you? Um, is that she was tortured. The, the beginning of the book and later on throughout the, the story, you learn that they tried very hard to get information out of her about the remaining dragons. Uh, and Amelia was very strong and did not give in, uh, but can recognize what it was because it was so frequent. Throughout the story, they would they would drug her food and her drinks. So she has this this aversion 
to eating or drinking anything someone gives her. Maria realizes this and she'll drink and eat before she does so she knows it's safe. It's very sweet. Um, they, they share scars together. They talk about how they've both been imprisoned by the king and, and they show each other their wrists. There's so many sweet, tender moments. There's a lot of hurt comfort. Yes, there's so <laughs> much hurt comfort story. and I loved it. Um, I love a good hurt comfort. But because of this past she's had, she recognizes the drug um, and tells the cat, go get help. And because it's a fantasy novel, of course, the cat knows to go get help. Um, well, and also she can telepathically communicate with dragons. So I think she can yes. telepathically communicate with cats in some sense. Like, I, I think it's not as strong, but she's clearly like having real conversations with these cats. So. There are many dragons. Yeah, there are many yeah. dragons. Yeah. Uh so Maria comes on deck because Rat Slayer, because of course it's Rat Slayer, goes to Maria, uh, sees that she's been stabbed, and they're able to help her from not bleeding out. Um, they still don't know who did it. This is the portion of the book where it's very much a who done it. Um, so be warned, here be spoilers. Uh, and <laughs> Maria's like, okay, you're stabilized. Let's set a trap and find out who this was. Amelia can't walk on her <laughs> own power. And Maria's like, let's trap him, though. <laughs> and this very much does show the ruthlessness of the captain because she knows that if they give it another day, they will be in siren territory. And the person who did this to Amelia wouldn't dare try and escape out into the sea into siren territory in a boat. So whoever this is will escape, will, will not be found unless they act today, uh, which is why they need to set the trap now. They can't let Amelia heal. They need to, it's basically 12 hours later, it is now or never, because once they head into the siren territory, only a madman would try and escape via a logboat because it's certain death. Little does Maria know that uh, Amelia once had a girlfriend who was a siren. <laughs> or at the very least had a fling uh, with Nerissa, uh, a wonderful siren who had lovely boobs that she loved. Um, <laughs> I want her to be in, in uh, books. Yeah, so I want to meet Nerissa. I want to know what boobs convinced the sorcerer that, yep, she likes women. <laughs> I want to meet the boobs. I want to meet the boobs. Uh, I want to meet the woman behind the boobs. I want to know about the siren. <laughs> yeah, way behind the boobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they, they have to do it now. Um, and one of the big things is that they know that this person intended to bring Amelia to the king, uh, to the Navy, because using that drug that the Navy had used on her prior meant that they had already had, like, they had already spoken to the King's Guard. They had already talked to the Navy because that drug was not easy to get. It was one that was specifically either used in surgery or it was one that was used by the King's Guard for torture, essentially, because it made someone incredibly weak without killing them. It knocked them out. And the King wants her alive. And the King wants her alive. Exactly. So they knew that whoever had done this had did it because they were going to give her over to the authorities, which meant they were a traitor. Regardless of, you know, their true intentions, 
at the end of the day, they were trying to turn over a fugitive to Maria's enemies. Maria is directly opposed to the Navy, and in particular, Catherine. Um, and King Eldrick, she has a bone to pick. So she was not missing her chance to find this rat in her crew. So their plan is to have Amelia go down and work in the kitchens as she normally is. This would be normal for her routine. And Judith is going to hide behind a barrel uh, with a pistol at her side, you know, ready in case something happens. Um, And they are going to have her unattended. They are going to see who comes down there and tries to talk to her alone at a time of day where it wouldn't make sense to go get food. And who walks down the stairs but fucking Helen? I was like, Helen? (laughs) I was so... I was beside myself because I... You're going to love Helen when you read this book. Helen was amazing. I was like, no, not Helen. Because I, not to brag, but I predicted who it was going to be. And I was so certain about how, who it was. So to see Helen, I was like, wait, that wasn't, that wasn't who I thought. <laughs> and you realize that Helen is just chit-chatting and she's asking for some solves for, because, you know, she's burned herself again, because, of course, she fucking has. And, and she's there to confirm a bet. Because last night, um, (laughs) Amelia had stayed in the captain's cabin all night, which everyone heard she was drunk, and that's why. But that's not something the captain does. The captains let you sleep off your drunkenness in her cabin. So everyone had made bets on whether they had slept together or not. And Helen was there to try and get her answer. She believed they slept together. And that's why she was there. Yeah, so it's just this banter. Meanwhile, it's very tense on Amelia's part. She's chopping potatoes, and it's just like, holy shit, is this the person? Um, And then Helen decides to turn around and walk back up the stairs, and you're like, phew, okay, it wasn't her. And as she's going up the stairs, she goes, hey, Jonas, what are you doing here? And he, oh, this motherfucker is being so shady. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Helen refuses to leave to leave because she's like, "This isn't, this isn't right. What are you doing here? Something's weird." Here? Helen's Helen's weird, weird radar is going off. Amelia eventually convinces Helen to leave, giving her a knowing look, like I'll be okay. Because um, Jonas puts a knife in her back or to her back. Yeah. He's yeah. like, make her leave. Yeah. And, uh, and Helen's like, I'm going to go see the captain. And I have to I have to tell y'all, I felt so vindicated because I thought it was Jonas because I have several reasons. One, as soon as they said you can only get this drug through the Empire or through surgery, I was like, Jonas did surgeries on the ship. And then I realized that um, he had stuck up for her against the guy earlier, like like he wanted her to live, which sounds very nice and sweet, but they hadn't had 
any interactions like she'd had with the other pirates. It was yeah, kinda... he had no reason to defend her at that point, and yeah. yet he did. Versus yeah. defending somebody that he'd known for a very long time, it seemed. It was it was very bizarre. Um, and third of all, we discovered that Jonas had been in other towns getting supplies. So of all the pirates, he was the one who would have seen wanted signs for her in other towns that hadn't have had it removed. So that was that was my whole thing. I had it written down and I was like, I know it's this motherfucker. I know it's this guy. So when Helen walked down the stairs, I was just so distraught. I was like, my my detection skills. Right. <laughs> so I felt so justified when he was the one. And um, see, I'm usually really good at telling stuff like this. Like I usually put it together incredibly fast. And I don't know if I was just distracted by the tension or God, it was exquisite. Yeah, the tension was really good. But like I didn't really have a guess necessarily because I, I think Jonas had really fallen to the back of my mind because he wasn't very present. He had been in the background a lot. He was very much somebody who was mentioned, but not really like beyond when he spoke up for Amelia, he wasn't really in the spotlight. And I had kind of forgotten about Jonas. And then I'm like, it's Jonas. <laughs> I, I think the number one clue that g- gave me like Jonas vibes was he was the one who told her to be there. Mm-hmm. He was the one who was like, you should go over to that side yeah. of the boat and you should look at the moon. That was the final nail in the coffin for me because I had all those other clues and I was like, he told her to go there. And I just thought he was being nice. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) See, I was scared. My two guesses were Falk and Judith, because if I were writing the book, who would I want to hurt my readers with? those (laughs) emotional damage yes that's what i i go like i didn't i wasn't using my detection my detective skills i was just like who would i pick if i was writing this the one that's going to do the most emotional damage to both uh uh maria and amelia judith was my main guess and thank fuck it wasn't because I love Judith. I'm so glad it wasn't Judith. And like, honestly, I, I did not have a guess. Usually I have a guess. And I think I was distracted by the hot lesbian pirates. I just, I just didn't have a guess. I, I was like, you know what? I don't know. I'm in, in it for the ride. I, who is it? <laughs> Tell me, Brittany. I don't know. <laughs> so but I do want to say it was well laid. It's not that it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was definitely set up really well. Um, So... While there's a tussle and Judith gets a hold of him and there's a tense standoff, he calls Amelia her full name, Amelia Draken, and he calls her a witch, and Judith realizes who she really is. And there is a heartbreaking moment where Judith suddenly doesn't trust Amelia and doesn't call her her name anymore. Doesn't call her M. Calls her witch. And guides them to go talk to Maria. And there is a line that I think Andy saved that just broke my heart. This was Amelia talking to Judith. And it said, because even if I was never really your friend, you were really mine. Which was really saying something because Amelia didn't feel like she had ever had a friend before Judith. And it was like my heart. 
And it just, yes, the romantic relationships are really good in this book. And there's a lot of queer representation. Um, there's a lot of, you know, well-established romantic connections. The platonic connections in this story, I feel, are really beautifully done. Um, the side characters felt like they belonged. They didn't take away from the story. They didn't outshine. They supported perfectly. But they also displayed how something that really has bothered me in the past is how so some romance novels treat a couple like an island. Yeah. Like, it's just you and me against the world. We don't need a community. We're just going to fuck in your palace and die, I guess. Which isn't... I'm sorry! The looks the man just gave me. I was about to take a drink, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> Waiting for that sentence to be finished. But, but, but it's such a thing in these romance novels. Like, they don't talk about community. They don't talk about friendships. They don't talk about, you know... Like, family connections. They don't talk about how once you're an established couple, what then? You know, what about the life you build around yourself? In this book, with freaking dragon lesbian pirates, <laughs> they really establish friendships so well and beautifully. Um, and that is such a good line. That's such a good line. Um, and I, I do want to say, the reason why Judith is so put off the reason why judith is so upset is because she gave amelia multiple chances to tell her who she really was and the thing about pirates is they tend to be incredibly superstitious we know that some of the pirates are afraid of cats some of the pirates are just you know very superstitious it is the thing about pirates is that they are superstitious because they are on ships and so much is out of their control they're at the whims of the elements they're at the whims of their ship they're at the whims of their captain and so they control the things they can control bringing a witch on board a pirate ship is a massive taboo and historically speaking bringing a woman on a pirate ship was a massive taboo because it was considered bad luck um in this case bringing a woman on a pirate ship not a taboo clearly the captain is a woman there's multiple women on the ship but bringing a witch on the ship is where that taboo has shifted to well and also no offense to amelia but her family sucks yeah like, they didn't they like it is well established that she was like the black sheep of the family because she wasn't murderous because she was kind <laughs> she was kind yeah. um and to be fair her her uncle did like foresee that she would be the last of the dragon sorcerers uh and that she'd be beloved with the dragons but an outcast from her own society which was a wonderful self-fulfilling prophecy everything that happened happened because they acted upon the prophecy if they had done nothing none of it would have happened because the mom mm -hmm. decides to have her killed yep at birth um trigger warning uh for goddamn um infanticide yeah i suppose yeah, I, I have infanticide in the warnings for this very reason there we go um they decide to tie her to a rock and cast her into the ocean um they worship a sea goddess whose worship is banned in other countries because she's viewed as evil um and the goddess decides to save her life 
And uh, so while her mother tried to have her killed because of the prophecy given by her uncle, the goddess gives her a second chance at life and has the dragons raise her, which I need a montage of that. <laughs> Sweet Christ. Five dragons raising a baby. Just It's like two men and a baby, but like amplified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's this funny, like when she's talking to Maria way later in the book, she's like, yeah, they would try to feed me, but the animals could fight back and it didn't really work out. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, but anyway, Amelia's family sucks ass. So I understand why there is this fear when they find out that not only is she of this tribe, she is the last one and the one who can control dragons, which can destroy cities. But still, it sucks because there's been this friendship yeah. she's been building with Judith the whole damn time. So it's very, it's very complex mix of emotions going on. Because you understand where Judith is coming from, but at yeah. the same time, you're like, no, Judith. <laughs> no, you. she's still the same person. She she is not her ancestor. She is not she is not the sum of only the things she can do. You know, she is she is so much more. And it's 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 super difficult, especially because Judith then takes them to Maria and Maria finds out who Amelia really is. And there's this heartbreaking but also sweet moment where she has Amelia tied up. Uh, but with rope, not the shackles they have, because she knows Amelia was shackled in the dungeons under the king's rule, and that it brings her back to this really dark place. Um, it is this very heartbreaking scene of Maria having her tied up, but also still being aware of the trauma she has endured. And at the end of the day, oh... Can I be crass? Be crass. And then they fuck. <laughs> they do with full consent. <laughs> yeah, Bondage there's this fucking. Whole, Bondage there's this fucking. Whole, like, banter of like, this is who you were this whole time. You didn't tell me. Da, 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 da. But then they're like, it's, it's very flirtatious. And you can tell Maria still very much cares for Amelia. I've got a whole section here if you want it. No, no. <laughs> Fine. I have to mute for this one. This section is titled Bondage and Consent. Maria brushed her fingers along one side of Amelia's face gently, tracing her cheekbone, and then she leaned in close and pressed her mouth to Amelia's ear. Do you want me to untie you? She whispered. Before we... Feverish heat flooded Amelia's cheeks, and Amelia was sure Maria had felt it in her fingertips. Maria leaned back on her heel, searching Amelia's face for any fear or reluctance. She hadn't finished her sentence, but the implication was clear. Intoxicated by the visceral lust she saw in Maria's eyes, Amelia shook her head. Maria smiled, and a strange sort of hunger flashed in those dark brown eyes of hers. Maria stepped closer, wood creaking beneath her boots. You'll tell me if I do something I don't like. You'll tell me if I do something you don't like. If Maria had meant that as a request, she'd said it totally wrong. It sounded more like a demand, an ultimatum, that this would end immediately if Amelia didn't agree. Amelia nodded. I mean it, Beth, Maria said softly. Anything at all, I need you to tell me. 
Desire filled Amelia's body like smoke, making it nearly impossible to speak or even breathe. So again, Amelia nodded. But Maria shook her head. She lifted Amelia's face with her finger. It's important to me, love, she said gently, that you give me something clearer than a nod. Amelia forced that strange heat from her lungs, enough so for her to speak anyway. Yes, she breathed breathlessly. I'll tell you. That was an afterthought. She talked on a very awkward captain. The pirate captain snorted at that. She tilted her face closer to Amelia's, as if she were going to kiss her, and whispered, Maria. Amelia's cheeks grew warm as she repeated, Maria. Maria closed her eyes and breathed out a small, shuddery sigh, as if she'd enjoyed Amelia saying her name as much as Amelia had enjoyed saying it. Perfect. Maria cupped her warm hands around Amelia's face and kissed her deep. And then they fuck. <laughs> and then they fuck about it. <laughs> I want you to know, while you were reading that, I sewed off the calm the fuck down explicit <laughs> essentials, and I rubbed it furiously all over myself to calm the fuck down. <laughs> and then she took a big pull from the Kraken bottle. <laughs> I saw that one out of the corner of my eye. I just yep. see the Kraken oh, bottle make an appearance. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 yeah, the first sex they have is tied up. God damn. Uh, and it is hot. Hot. It's real hot. Um, it is whew, oh baby. <laughs> but but Jonas is taken care of. Um And it's really funny. Word. We don't even really see like Jonas dying. We we just see Jonas get like tied up and gagged, and then it's like, no, he's gone. He's dead. He doesn't even matter. The only person, the only person who's even slightly concerned is Zane. Yeah, and that's just because Zane's constant state is to be concerned. I really resonated strongly with Zane. Uh, I I love that. If I recall, Zane is just a concerned gay man who is on this ship yeah. being like, "I'm sorry, but we need some decorum, please." And it's just amazing. Uh, and then and then like. Freaking all this crap happens. There's a battle. She uses her healing abilities. She's amazing. Um, Marie and her start to trust each other even more. All this stuff happens. Um, and then. Mm-hmm. Fucking Catherine. 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 As Amelia is running back, because the battle they're having is with one of the king's ships. I don't know if it's Catherine for sure, but, you know. Um, they see uh, as Amelia runs back to the captain's quarters, because after they have sex together, she, she sleeps together in there with her. It's a very vulnerable moment for Maria. Um, but she has left a dagger her mother gave her in the cabin. So she runs down to get it because she thinks it'll help with the surgeries. She can pull energy from it and do healing. Um because what these soldiers, not soldiers, uh, pirates don't know is she's using her magic as well as stuff she's learned. Um, and Maria knows this and Judith knows this. Yes. But the rest of the crew has not been advised that Amelia is a witch. Because superstition, as mentioned earlier. The only person to be like, hold on, is Zane. Because one of them got hurt severely to the kidneys. And he was like, I've seen people die from this. But he's the next day. He's walking around. What is going on? Um, 
But anyway, she goes to the cabin and sees Catherine has boarded. And Catherine, the dumb fuck at first, is like, there you are. I'm here to rescue you. We heard that the pirate had captured you. Fucking Catherine. And uh, Amelia kind of plays into it at first, you know, to get closer so she can fight uh, Catherine. And it just becomes this whole thing. It this this scene was so frustrating for me. It was it was very beautiful and it was very sweet, but it was so infuriating because there were moments I was like, just shoot her, just shoot her, don't monologue, just kill her, just kill her, just kill her. <laughs> but it results in a sword fight. Yeah, a sword fight in which Amelia uses strategies that Maria showed her. Strategies that Catherine had never shown her because Catherine wanted to have the advantage if they ever fought. And that is when, for sure, Catherine knows that Amelia is on Maria's side and is not a prisoner in any way. Um, Brittany, if you ever have the chance to add a subtitle or whatever that would be called to this, might I recommend the ex of my ex is my girlfriend. (laughs) I do like that. The X-Men-X is my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's pretty common in queer families. Against, there's yeah. only so many of us. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. I'm Especially if you're in a small town. <laughs> you can have that one for free. <laughs> anyway, uh, to give y'all some backstory on Catherine. Uh, She's a bitch. Learned... She's awful. <laughs> a woman you love to hate. Sorry. We learn that Catherine and Amelia first met when Catherine was severely injured. Not Maria, uh, Amelia. Catherine met Amelia, God's favorite princess, God's favorite dragon princess, <laughs> because she was injured. And by Maria, most by likely. Maria. Almost certainly. God's favorite sea captain. Uh, <laughs> And by God, we mean Aletha, the goddess of the ocean. Yes, yes. Uh, She had healed Catherine and had fallen in love with her, had only been with one other person. Nerissa, the siren. And yes, the siren, who I hope we get in book two. And Catherine had used Amelia to get a promotion within the Navy, which which Catherine is a part of. Um, and because the king had wanted to overtake these powerful sorcerers for a long time. So by the information Catherine got out of Amelia, she lost her entire family. So that's Catherine's connection to Amelia. However, her connection to Maria is that they were in the Navy together. And Catherine was, I believe, her second in command. Yes, her first mate. Yes, her first mate. And there was a betrayal. And Maria discovered something going on in the Navy. Um, trigger warning as well, as we have stated at the beginning of the podcast, for human trafficking. Maria uncovered the higher up she got in the Navy that the kingdom was participating 
in the trafficking of individuals for finances. And Maria rebelled. A few on her crew went with her, including Judith, who was originally in the Navy as well. Catherine turned Maria in and got the promotion instead. That is that is basically a very shortly summed up version of what happened. So basically, Catherine has fucked over both these people who trusted her. She's a bitch. She's a <laughs> terrible person. She's a character you love to hate. And she is written so well because she tries to play herself off as this, like, this character that cares about you, this character that cares about these characters, that loves them, that wants better for them. And at the end of the day, she's just awful. She's only in it she's for herself. She's very self-serving and it's written very well because even as she is discussing with Amelia in the cabin, she's trying to pretend like she was there to rescue her. She didn't even know she was there. Nine, like 90% sure. She had no idea she was there. She ran indoor and she was like, oh shit, I need to pretend I knew you were here. I'm a good liar. Um, And it is just like, this woman is so manipulative. And after seeing like the very true relationships that have occurred among this, this pirate crew, the very real relationship between Judith and Amelia, between Amelia and the captain, between Judith and Helen, between just this entire crew and how much they care about each other. Even Zane, who's a giant stick in the mud, cares about the crew. And as much as he's a dick, he's a dick because he's the one who has to keep things like under control. There's a reason. Somebody needs to be sensible. And that's what Zane is there for. And I just... Catherine, in contrast to all these characters who may be pirates, who are the villain in quotation marks, she is so much of a worse person compared to them. And yet she, she is seen as the good guy. She values her career and her ambitions more than her connections with yes. people. Whereas the pirates are the opposite. They view each other as a family, as incredibly close friends. They put each other before anything else. The only workplace where it's it's healthy to say that we're we're like a family here <laughs> is a pirate ship. So it's if your ship. work says it, it's only acceptable if you are a pirate. Run. Question, how many pirates are listening to Wham Bam? Thank you, ma'am. And if you're listening, what kind of piracy are you doing? Because I know most modern piracy is off the coast of Somalia. Oh, no, most modern piracy happens on Reddit. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> I meant like physical piracy, but if we're talking digital piracy, oh. that's a whole other avenue. And so, I am also a pirate. On my mom's side of the family, she swears by this. We... We do have a lot of outlaws and we do have a lot of criminal activity of the southern nature. Were you bootleggers? Do you know the story of the Hatfields and the McCoys? Yes. They were Hatfields. Oh I am my a direct God, descendant. You're yeah, we have <laughs> I am a direct descendant of Devil Ants Hatfield. And she she swears there's some pirates in there too, but I think she's just having fun with it. But it is so fascinating to be a person. <laughs> I, I very much relate to Zane 
because I am a therapist and I try very hard. <laughs> Andy's laughing to, to create. Are you the quartermaster of the ship? <laughs> I'm the captain. Andy's the first mate. You are the quartermaster. <laughs> I have a family who is very unruly, but I know in my heart of hearts that they would be there for me. Um, it is very interesting how the dynamics of like lawful good versus chaotic good in like D&D terms almost like like that knowing of just because something's a law doesn't mean it's right and doesn't mean it should be upheld like Jesus Christ how long was you know homosexual marriage not allowed how long was slavery allowed like just because something is a law and just just because your government, I'm not gonna go on a rant. Don't commit. Are anarchy. you sure <laughs> you're not gonna go on a rant? Kind of sounds like a rant, like a like a like a but, little rant. But it's it's just so yeah. well portrayed in Catherine, who is technically following the law, but an absolute bad person versus these pirates who are breaking every law, even the ones they create for themselves, <laughs> supporting each other, supporting your loved ones, supporting your family, and it's just. It's all about Stop. family. It's fast and furious. Don't you Vin Diesel me. I will Vin Diesel you as much as I want. This is my podcast. No. It's, a, it's a queer narrative. Therefore, found family equal best family. <laughs> but it's so true, though. Found family is best family. To, to get into that, though, um, Catherine and her fight, and they collide, and one thing leads to another, and they're on the deck. Catherine has Amelia as a hostage and she says her real name to the pirates. She reveals Amelia's identity to everyone. Maria cannot keep it a secret. And she says, I will pardon you. We will give you gold. You let us take her. And it is one of the most moving scenes ever. Because no one, even Zane, takes her up on it. And then Amelia turns around. And because Catherine says, I'm going to shoot the gun and there'll be a signal and they'll all come after you. Um, And Amelia says, can I take you up on that offer and turn myself in so that my friends can be safe? And it's, it's just the sweetest fucking thing. Because you didn't need this. You you already had people sticking up for you. There was already a test of the bonds on the ship. Because at this point, most of them have been healed from her. Like, they've they've been healed by her. Like, she had to push a guy's intestines in, for Christ's sakes. Um, that was a fun scene to read. <laughs> but they already stood up for her. She didn't have to turn around and say, let my friends go. Um, but eventually... They all tell Catherine to fuck off. And I actually so, have that segment, if you'd like. Yes, yes, please. It is such a good scene. So, <clears throat> let's see. <clears throat> like the enraged madwoman everyone believed her to be, Catherine Maria Wells fired the first shot and doomed them all. The scent of gun smoke burned Amelia's nose, somehow stronger in that moment than any other scent, stronger even than the scent of cannon fire and burnt flesh, which still singed the salted sea air. It was the smell of anger, the smell of war. Silence settled over the ship. 
Catherine's grip on her loosened, and Amelia could practically feel the shock radiating through her body. There's your fucking signal, Maria snarled. And then she aimed the pistol at Catherine. Now unhand my surgeon and get the fuck off my ship. Have you lost your mind? Catherine breathed. And on question, considering how many times Catherine called Maria a madwoman to Amelia, to the entire world. You can't possibly think that you can take on an entire fleet with one ship, Catherine scoffed. Maria shrugged those strong shoulders of hers. I'll suppose we'll see, she muttered. Now, unless you want me to strap you to the side of my ship so your, can your own cannon fire can blow right through you, she paused, giving the threat time to sink in. Run. Without another moment of hesitation, Catherine shoved Amelia away from her, and Maria caught her with one arm. And while Maria was occupied with Amelia, Catherine bolted towards the side of the ship, climbed on the rail, and then leapt into the sea. Yells of alarm rung out, and nearly every pirate on the ship rushed to the rail to search for the Navy Admiral, but Amelia's head was spinning too fast to make sense of any of it. What have you done? Amelia breathed. Maria pulled Amelia into her arms, and though she still held weapons, she held Amelia tight. The scent of hibiscus, orange, and leather and smoke filled Amelia's lungs, and Maria's lips brushed against hers. If she wants war, she can have it, Maria said into Amelia's thick black hair. But she's not getting you. So Maria sends off the signal herself. Catherine has no bargaining chip, flees the ship, and they head towards Amelia's island, which is where they've been heading this whole time because Maria was keeping her promise. She was. She uh, was acting like an ass, but she was keeping her promise. Yeah, <laughs> there was, there's this whole throughout the book, like, I'm not going to let you leave. But then she really was sailing towards She just Amelia's likes being a her. dick. She finds yeah, a lot yeah. of fun being, like, being a dick. She likes to get Amelia's feathers ruffled. Yes. That's what it is. She yeah. likes to, to mess with her. Which I get. Which, yeah, to be fair, Amelia seems very fun to mess with. Yeah. <laughs> I would have fucked with her. I would have died, but I'd have fucked with her. <laughs> you can see who's the pirates and who's the Amelia in this podcast by the faces Roxy is making. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Heal your asses. Anyway. There's two of us dressed so as pirates. I wonder which two. <laughs> the bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> I have a rose and that's what matters. <laughs> it's like Ro Roxy rose to the occasion. Okay, please put me down. Thank you. <laughs> Done. Anyway. <laughs> so there's this really heartwarming, uh, you know, discovery later. You find out that there was a trial and no one voted to get rid of Amelia. Like even Zane. Uh, who throughout the whole book, I was like, please don't actually be bad. Please actually be a good person. Please don't, you know. And he did end up being good. He did well, end up being. And it was essentially Amelia's sacrifice at the end that really pushed him yes. over the edge. Yes. The fact that she was willing to give her life for the crew was what convinced him she wasn't a danger to the crew. Because up until that point, he was like, you could really fuck us. You could really fuck us. I think you're going to fuck us. And then she gave up her own safety for the crew. And he was like, all right. And, yeah. and to be fair to Zane, she could. Oh, she could. <laughs> she, he was incredibly right. He was Zane, so right. Name of the episode, Zane was right the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Zane did nothing wrong. <laughs> oh, God. But, 
so they decide, you know, part of the crew, part of the ship, she's one of us. They they go to the island. Um and Maria gets onto shore with her. Uh they know Catherine has left to go get her army, but what can you do at this point? You know, they're gonna they're gonna fight. Um and Amelia takes her to meet her dragons. And it's very funny. It's a very funny scene. It's very sweet. Um, Pixie, I saw you pull out the book. <laughs> I've got the book if we want the segment. I don't know if we want to yeah. save it for the readers, though, for anybody who wants to yeah, read. Yeah, the thing. Oh, it is it's so, so good. good. It's, I it think, is so I think good. I think we might want to save it. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, okay, go okay. read this book. Go read this book because the last chapter is genuinely one of the best chapters I've ever read. It was so well done. It was and sweet without being corny. It was like over the top without being unbelievable. It was the reason Roxy messaged us in all caps going, ah! <laughs> yeah, it was at the end of this book, they confess they love each other. And that's all I'll say. And our dear Amelia is going to bring more than just her dragons to this fight. The last fucking line in this book. Brittany, I swear to God, you better finish the second. Do you want to read it? Pixie? Oh, yeah, I can read the last line of this. Book. Do you want to read the last line that I read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get there. And then found out there was a part two and it ends here. Um, I think it might be a trilogy also. Yeah, so there might be a third book. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I seriously, I think. I'll look at my Kindle, but my heart, my heart. Can't. I just, I'm, I'm trying to prepare you, buddy. Okay, so here it is. Amelia let go and stepped back. In that case, Captain, she said with an absolutely dazzling smile. I think it's finally time for me to summon the goddess of the sea. Don't you? <laughs> they end the book there. To be yep. continued gonna, with a giant woman. They're gonna summon a sea goddess to fight. Um, at, at the end of the book, it's uh, also by Brittany Jackson, lesbian pirates and dragons, pirates of Alatharia, goddess of the sea coming soon, the dragon child coming soon. There was a third book, my friend. Roxy's having an existential crisis on camera. No, it's pretty, it, no, it's, it's pretty essential. I think she's gonna fucking come through the screen and beat me to death <laughs> she's drinking kraken straight from the bottle ladies and gentlemen Brittany, you don't know me you don't you don't know me that well but Brittany, i need you to write so fast i need you to write like that's all that's all that matters i you probably have friends and family you care about forget them forget do you, do you have another job forget it <laughs> Brittany, look at me. Look at look at me, Brittany. Brittany, listen. You don't know me. God damn it. I need you to finish this series. You can't keep doing this to me, Brittany. You can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> Brittany, you're edging Roxy, and we need... <laughs> you're... I'm saying 
<laughs> You're edging Roxy, and she's really struggling here. You need to let up. Oh, no. It's, Please don't say I'm being edged. It's so funny. Please keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to die. Okay, I'm going to look down now. Cause... Oh, I'm so glad we do this in a video call. So we can... <laughs> express our feelings. So the faces can, can really be saved for, for posterity. All right, ma'ams. It's come time. What's your rating? One ma'am, absolutely awful. Five ma'ams, the best fucking romance novel you've ever read. I'm scared to give anything a five, but if I was going to give anything a five, it would be Heartbreak Incorporated. And this. I would... I, I would like a four seven maybe. I would give this a five, as I did with Heartbreak Incorporated. I was riveted by these lesbian pirates and dragons. Oh my! Oh my! I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna give it a five divided by three because I have to wait for two more books. <laughs> Some sort no, of it's fraction. A, it's a five. <laughs> it's yeah. It's a five. It's a five. It's really. It was one of my favorite books, and that's why I think the ending hurt so hard because I wanted to see a giant woman step on Catherine's <laughs> rude ass, and I was blue balled out of it. Why do we keep starting the seasons with really good books and then just going downhill? Uh, because it's amusing. <laughs> I feel like, you motherfucker. I, I, I feel some- like. Yeah, our producer is just sadistic. She's the one that schedules everything. Hey, to be fair, I ask you and you guys are like, yeah, that's fine. And I'm like, okay. You assume I read. Yeah, if you read better, better, maybe you you would know what you're getting into is all I'm saying. I I read your messages. I don't read books. I read fan fiction. I think we're ready for a tingle. Can I be tingled? You can be tingled. I'll tingle you right now. Roxy's begging Uh, to be tingled? Yeah, she's begging to be tingled. I'm begging to read the second book, Brittany. (laughs) We love you, Brittany. Please don't. None of this is a threat. I promise. She's... it's a comedy podcast. I, I think I'm mentally sound. <laughs> She's very well trained. She's housebroken and everything. <laughs> she responds to the little clickers, you know? Stop. <laughs> okay. Oh, please single me so I can go. <laughs> this one goes out to all of our Bigfoot enthusiast listeners out there. Soon. These wild big feet had nowhere left to go off but into the vast oceans, leaving the forest in droves as they set out to the sea on massive barges of lashed together tree trunks. We watched them go with a sense of relief, glad that these ultimate protectors of the wilderness had finally hoisted the white flag of surrender. Of course, we never could have expected what would happen when the big feet came back. Soon, human vessels were being boarded left and right, cruise ships pillaged for supplies, and oil rigs set fire. The Bigfoot pirates were ruthless seamen, environmental terrorists of the open water, with an axe to grind against the society that had cast them out of house and home. Of all these fearsome Bigfoot pirates, however, one stood tall above the rest, as the most cutthroat pirate of them all, Lorco the Black. Lorca was a ferocious Bigfoot from Dallas, Texas, who was said to have commandeered more vessels than every other Bigfoot pirate combined. He ruled the seas with utter villainy as captain of his ship, Nice Abs, striking fear up and down the West Coast, and particularly the waters around Santa Monica, which is where I happen to live. 
Encounters with Lorco were the stuff of legends around these parts, ranging from the time someone saw his massive pirate ship pass by the early morning haze to a near-death battle in which the storyteller barely escaped alive. This is why it is such a huge deal when the nice abs was finally sunk just a few miles off the coastline after a fearsome battle with the United States Navy. The general reaction to the news was quite odd. On the one hand, having such a violent criminal off the waters was an absolute blessing. Yet somehow, the Bigfoot pirate captain would be missed. Over time, Locro had become a sort of celebrity around town, almost like a mascot for the city of Santa Monica. It didn't hurt that the Bigfoot was incredibly handsome, a muscular creature with broad shoulders and a winning smile. But it was still hard for me to personally get behind celebrating a wanton criminal like he was some kind of folk hero. That was not the only strange thing that started happening after Lorco died, however. The first time I felt the ache in my balls, I was taking my morning walk along the beach with my dog Skippy. Skippy was playing in the waves, barking and dancing with jovial excitement as he fought against the ever-changing tide. It was a day like any other, until suddenly, I found myself buckling under the throbbing ache of pain deep within my balls. I held fast, hunched over until the surges of discomfort passed completely. But by the time it was over, I knew that something was dreadfully wrong. I immediately booked an appointment with my doctor, and no more than 24 hours later, I found myself sitting in his Santa Monica office waiting for test results. The door to my private room opened, and my doctor walks in with a clipboard in hand, causing me to sit up abruptly. Andy, Dr. Torpo says, a concerned look plastered on his face. We've got your results. And, I ask on the edge of my seat, I have a variety of different illnesses in my family, and a diagnosis of any one of them would be devastating. Just give it to me straight, Doc. How sick am I? Dr. Tora shook his head. Well, you're not sick, actually, he explains. I stare at him blankly. I'm not? A smile of relief slowly begins to creep across my face. But don't get too excited, Dr. Torp tells me. You're still in a world of trouble. I'm afraid your balls are haunted. This excerpt is from Bigfoot Pirate Haunts My Balls. Looking for the sexy bits? Well, those secrets are chucks, not ours, and we don't kiss and tell. You can find this book on Amazon and Kindle for two ninety nine. It never gets easier. It never... I, Corinne, when this is done exporting, I need you to go back and watch the video when you say balls. Because yeah, rocks. both of us, both of us had a sudden, <laughs> like, Looney Tunes eyes out of face, you know. Uh, Chuck, your brain is as terrifying as it is beautiful and glorious. I'm so... <laughs> Chuck is a national treasure. Thank you, Chuck. Um... He sure is. So I have a fan fiction to share with you all today. Okay. Uh, I haven't really vetted it, but it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> a good start. Um, it's called Sail Across Me by I Will Paint a Song for Lou. And it's Harry Styles. Louis Tomlinson, I don't know who that is. Louis Tomlinson, I don't know. It's another direction. Um, oh, it's another, it's one of the directions. Yeah, okay. south. <laughs> um, and it is a pirate AU for one direction. Here is the summary. Harry is a prince that's about to be forced into a marriage against his will. 
And running away to seem see to see seems like a much better option. Sorry, the rum's really hit. <laughs> like a pirate. Is it, Yar. Is it Louis or Louis? I was Louis. I don't Louis, okay. Mm-hmm. Louis is the captain of the infamous pirate ship, the Rogue. And he has a thing for helping defenseless creatures. Especially when they're as pretty as this one. The tags include Pirate AU, lots of sexy stuff. Prince S. Harry, arranged marriage, lots of fancy syntax and nautical talk. I love it. Pirate Louie, Prince Harry freeform, bottom Harry, top Louie, boat sex, virgin Harry, first time. Once again, that is sail across me. And it's a One Direction pirate arranged marriage fanfic. That's saying a lot of a lot of things. It sure is. You know, what about you, Andy? What do you what do you got for us, champ? So we were like, oh, well, there's two main, you know, ways you can go with this. Right. I have not fully finished this fanfic, but I was like, okay, I could do like an R flag means death thing. Season two just got, you know, announced. It's very exciting. Um. But then I'm like, their relationship doesn't really remind me of anything from Our Flag Means Death. So I went more like what their relationship reminded me of. And their relationship reminded me of BBC's Merlin. I don't know how familiar either of the ma'ams are with this show. Mildly. Essentially, Merlin is a secret sorcerer and will be put to death if it's found out. And he works for Arthur. And Arthur's a dickhead. That's the whole thing. He gets better. But that's kind of the whole premise. Um, and there's there's a there's a pirate one, and I will just read the tags really quick. I again I haven't finished it. It seems fine. If a little rushed, it's a one shot, like it's fine. Um, but if you enjoy BBC Merlin as like that, like Mer Arthur is like a ship, I highly recommend this book as like a WLW take on it, because there's it's it's a similar verve. Um, but the one I have is called Captain of My Soul. Unfortunately for me, it's not that it's a bad title. It's just I I hadn't looked at it and I'm like, God damn it. Uh, By Slanted Knitting. Okay. Uh, Summary. When Merlin finds himself alone and adrift at sea, he starts rethinking his choice to become a pirate. Fortunately, he is rescued by another pirate ship. Unfortunately, the captain of his new ship is Arthur, the man who loved him and left him. Ooh, the drama. Tags, pirates, alternate universe, pirates, alternate universe, historical, exes to lovers, reunions, getting back together. Simple. It's simple little thing. And I'm like, hell yeah. It just, that's what it made me think of. Um, And so my fic uh, actually is a... Pirates of the Caribbean fact, um, because I knew that uh, Pirates of Eletheria was inspired by Pirates of the Caribbean. It, it even says so in like the author's end notes. Um, Elizabeth Swan. I, I decided to look up and see if there was any Elizabeth Swan and Calypso fan fiction. Because I was like, that is immediately like a, a ship I would set sail on. And there's less than 20, folks. There is less than 20 fan fictions for Elizabeth Swan and Calypso. The market is open, is what I'm saying. I found a good one, though. It's called uh, Song of the Sea by Anna Rain. 
It's a short but poignant piece posing Elizabeth, the Pirate King, and Calypso, the goddess of the sea who was previously imprisoned in a human body by pirates, as potential lovers in the future. And here's a summary. There is a heartbeat, a pulse and throb that reverberates through her bones, a song that sweetly calls her down to where the waves lapped at the dock. And that's it. Like, that is the summary. And this is a very short fic. It's under 4K words. But the way they describe Calypso, the goddess of the sea, is fantastic. Here's just like a little excerpt. Um, Which is why she startles when she hears the wet roll of water on wood behind her, turning on her heel with a scowl to mask her apprehension. Tia Dalma stands in the dark, the hems of her dress wet and a trail of foam leading out behind her. She smiles, oyster pearl teeth glinting in the candlelight. Elizabeth, she greets, eyes hooded and dark. There's something different about her, something unsettling about the way the light hits her skin and ripples, as if she were made of water instead of of flesh. But that's it, isn't it? This is Tia Dalma no longer, free from her fleshy human prison. And though Calypso might assume a human form, she is very clearly not. And I love that idea. I, I love Pirate King Elizabeth with Calypso, Goddess of the Sea. Like... Her first love with the, was the sea, as much as it was as claimed that it was Will. She was in love with the idea of being a pirate, of adventure. Mm-hmm. And that is very much what Calypso is driving home in this fic. So once again, I would like to say this is Song of the Sea by Anna Rain. And there's less than 20 uh, pieces under the tag of Calypso and Elizabeth Swan. So just saying, folks, it's open. Get in there. Get in there, because that is a ship I would sail with. I'd sail under that flag. Ayo. Ayo. Now, ma'ams, it's coming time that we must say goodbye. But before we do, I'd like to tell our folks about the next episode, which is our Thanksgiving special. We're reading a real banger by the name of Gabby and the Gobbler. It's a Thanksgiving wide choose fiasco by Coda Jean. It's got turkey shifters. It's got the meaning of the season sharing it's somehow 270 pages long something tells me we're in for a wild ride until then looking for hot content and even hotter vibes check out our patreon you can find it linked on our twitter and blue sky wbtym pod you can also find us on instagram with the same name plus we have a facebook page and a tumblr if you're into that kind of thing please follow rate and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice tell a friend chase down a coworker. we've got so much love to give and we need your help to spread it Finally, I'd like to thank Acorns for our theme song. This has been Wham Bam. Thank you, ma'am. We hope we've left you thoroughly satisfied. Together now, get flirty and, and stay, stay dirty. dirty. Yarr. Wait, are we doing a turkey fucker episode? Oh. Wait, the turkey? Hold yeah. on. <laughs> Someone's getting stuffed. Okay. Oh, God fucking damn it. <laughs> <laughs>